Then he turns and you can see this gun, which looked like about four feet long, but it was like a 44 Magnum. It was a big gun. But when you're standing that close, it looked big. And he's like holding it. And we're telling him, hey, drop the gun. And I'm thinking, why is this guy's head not exploding from a sniper? They had no shot. So that's why. So they didn't see any of that. He turns and he's coming down. He's making his way down the steps. And we're like a driveway away from him. And when he hits the last step, he gets shot. All right, welcome back to the Snitch Podcast. This is episode nine, and today we've got a 22-year veteran of law enforcement with 14 years of experience on motors and 19 years on SWAT. And I actually reached out to this guy over Instagram because I saw he had a pretty sweet motorcycle. And I knew that you knew him, but I don't know him at all. Or didn't know him at all. Yeah, and he graciously, you know, agreed to come on. He admitted he hadn't listened to any of the any of our podcasts, but he like he updated himself like really quickly. And then he came over and he actually brought us this candied bacon. It was amazing. Uh, we do not share the recipe on here, so you can listen to it. You can listen to how good it is, but you can't have the recipe. <laughs> Turns out that uh, he makes really good bacon. He's uh, really easygoing, and he was a really good person. Uh, he's got lots and lots of experience, and he had a ton of stories. He had stories ranging from SWAT shootings and life-saving awards to liberating cocks under night vision. Yeah, so I hadn't seen him since the um, Peace Officers Conference and Awards Banquet the previous year where he got a life-saving award. And we actually start off this podcast with that story about a guy getting shot in the ass and how he saved his life. Without further ado, uh, let's get on into it. Episode nine, almost double digits of the Snitch Podcast. Enjoy. So I don't remember all the awards up there. Did you get an award? Uh, I did. I got a life-saving. Uh, tell us about that. Um, well, as any good story goes, so there I was. Yeah, no shit, minding my own business. <laughs> yeah, minding my own business. Just left uh, the local uh, coffee house and headed to go do an assignment. So shots fired, call comes out across the street from middle school. And, uh, you know, your mind goes to, oh, geez, is this a school shooting? We don't know, but we're just hearing we have people down in front of a middle school. So... I go tearing off there and it's a couple miles away. Um, uh, rolling up, I'm the first one there and I see two people, one person attending to another on the ground um, across the street from middle school. So I'm thinking, okay, this is real. So um, he's attending to them, some pressure. He's bleeding like a lot, deep red blood. I'm thinking, because they were down around his groin. I think, oh, he's he's been hitting his femoral artery. He's... So I dig a tourniquet out of my bike 
because I wasn't going to use mine because mine's for me. <laughs> so I have an <laughs> extra one in the bike and I'm talking to him, telling him, hey, this is going to hurt. So I put this tourniquet on, you know, high as I can up his leg. Cinch it down. Seems to be working. And uh, I look and I, on the ground in there and I see the bullet is laying on the ground there like it had come out. And I thought, oh, wow, that's going to be something they're going to need. <laughs> so I'm, I tell the officer, hey, just so you know, we there's some evidence here. Let, let's make sure we don't kick this away or lose track of what of this. Um, so we're doing our thing there. This kid's, you know, um, he's, he's awake. He's talking. The medics are now coming up and I said, Hey, I put a tourniquet on and we're starting to remove some clothing. I think just prior to that. And then I see where he shot, which he shot like above the tourniquet. I thought, ah, (laughs) crap. (laughs) (laughs) But where he shot is I can't put a tourniquet on that. And I'm like, okay, okay. But I remember like, okay, you don't take it off. So I don't leave it, but it seemed to work. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to let it go. And I tell him, I go, hey, look, this is what I did, but here's where the hole is now that we see it. He's like, okay. So he starts filling the hole with with gauze. So I'm holding pressure on the actual wound now besides the tourniquet I put on. And uh, the medic's like, okay, you just hang on. And so they're doing their thing. Is it all right, ready? All right, now you can take it off. So I take it off and they, they take him off to the hospital and he survives. And so the three of us that were there, the officers, we had life-saving award for saving this kid from, uh, well, what turns out it looks like it was probably a drug ripoff. So somebody goes to somebody's house to buy weed and decides that they don't want to pay for it. And there's a running gun battle down the street. And this is one, he catches one actually caught him, uh, shot him in the butt and it came out the front is, oh. is where, uh, is why I was seeing the bullet laying there. And so, uh, it's kind of strange, but once it all got hammered out, like, I don't know, I didn't know that until a long time after that, but that was what happened with it. And as far as I know, besides a shattered, uh, pelvis, I think he had maybe a femur. He was, he was good to go. Probably walks with a limp now. I imagine he does. <laughs> he can probably tell you when the weather's changing too. <laughs> so, oh man! <laughs> so, yeah. The good thing about being on a bike, you can get places quick. Yeah. Plus, you get to go to all the hot calls, right? You get to go to the hot calls. In my department, you're not a staff counter, so you don't count against staffing. So, you, uh, your primary duty is to enforce traffic laws. And um, you do that by either riding around or working certain hot spots, you know, or complaints, neighborhood complaints, things like that. Um, and then when the hot call comes up, you use, you can go. And uh, usually they do because typically those you're those officers are the kind of they're, you know, wanting to get into stuff, but. You're not taking patrol calls daily like a patrol officer does. So, um, and you have that freedom really is what it comes down to is you're not tied up on another call doing something you're, you might be on a stop, which if you felt you need to let it go, then you could take off and go. But, um, a lot of times you get to motors are a lot of times the first places, first people on scene on a lot of stuff. Yeah. So the, uh, you know, 
the stuff you get to do, you know, different dignitary escorts, you know, um, presidential candidates, presidents, um, you know, all kinds of, you know, people from other countries coming here that are dignitaries, uh, Dalai Lama, you know, all kinds of just cool stuff uh, that you don't get to normally do. Uh, so how many, did you do any presidential escorts? Um, yes, there were, uh, I'm thinking current presidents. I don't think we had any visits from a, no, we did. Yes. Yeah. We had a current visit in, uh, yeah, a current visit in 15. So, um, president Obama came and so we, uh, we ran him around where he needed to go. And so oh, that's right. We never got yeah, to see him, but yeah. <laughs> that's, so that's some of it. So depending on where you're at and what you're doing, you may not get to actually, you know, I've did one for, uh, uh, George Bush. I think this was the second. Yeah. He, it might've been. Yeah. Uh, he was riding a train throughout the country and unfortunately my spot on the, and that time it wasn't a motors position. I was, it was a swap position for dignitary protection. Um, I never got to see him. I was on the wrong side. <laughs> so that's just, you know how it is sometimes, you know, you're, you're standing at the, at the, the, the dumb end of the tape measure sometimes and you don't get to see, you don't get to see the action. So yeah. When Clinton came to town, he drove by my position. That yeah. was it. Like I yeah. saw him through the glass, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. I got to meet him. I got a, I got a picture with him once. Um, worked his wife's stuff when she came around once. I never saw her, but. Because um, she would fly in to the airport here and then. Yeah. To go up to. Yeah. We there. took her up to. Uh, up north. A couple cities. Once. Yeah. Um, and then uh, First Lady Michelle Obama, we took her up north once too. And uh, that was on Father's Day. So it was a little interruption of that day, but you know, <laughs> it's your job. You got paid and it was a, it was a, it was an okay day. So they say that there are those motor officers that haven't crashed and that will crash. Yeah. Those that, that have it and those that will. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I, um, so I have, uh, one while working well, two while working, I guess, technically. Yeah. So the first one was in, I don't know, about nine years ago, maybe. And, uh, and was at a stop sign to just take a side, like a side road, and I remember I, I look left and I see a bicycle coming, riding on this, on this little side, on this big side road it is. And, uh, and as soon as I looked to the right, there was this car, like I saw a front of a car because this person had turned the corner so sharp, they basically turned into my lane. So the wrong lane for them and just hit me head on. So thankfully head on because, uh, if you know, it would have been like a side hit, I would have taken that into the leg or something. Yeah. And so I remember 
maybe yelling or and trying to honk my horn at the same time, like, hey, <laughs> I'm here. Uh, obviously, that didn't really matter. It was too late. But uh, it, you know, and they were going pretty slow, probably, I don't know, 15, 10. I, they were slowing down to make a corner to get on the on-ramp to this highway. And it punted me backwards. You know, I remember flying off backwards little tumble. And then I remember the last thing was my helmet hit the ground, like tink. And I'm like, Oh man, because <laughs> if your helmet hits the ground, typically you should be getting a new one. And this one was fairly new anyway. It's like, Oh, my helmet is what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I kind of did the little check, you know, fingers, toes move. I can, I'm fine. I get up, she's freaking out and she's starting to walk towards me. And I said, hang on, give me a moment. I'm a little bit angry. So I took a minute or so to catch my breath and get on the radio and say, Hey, uh, can I have a supervisor and so-and-so I need this. And I've been hit by a car and, and like two people showed up and <laughs> cause usually if that kind of call goes out, I mean, everybody now, once they figured out, it's like, I think he crashed. <laughs> <laughs> He got hit by a car. Then, you know, obviously my boss came and my team came. and um, But a lot of people later is like, I, I didn't know what happened. I, I just, you were just talking on the radio. I was like, well, I, I mean, I wasn't like hurt. I mean, I don't know. It's, so, but that stuff, you know, you've, I've kind of thought about beforehand in my head what I'm going to say. Am I getting on the radio and scream like a 12-year-old girl? Um, <laughs> I hope not. And so, um, hopefully I'll be able to get on the radio at all. That's a good sign anyway. So I, I told the lady, okay, come on over. I gave her a hug and I said, look, it's okay. I'm fine. My bike wasn't fine. It ended up being totaled because it broke some of the engine stuff that pushed the front end in anyway. But I said, here's what's going to happen. If you're headed to work, you're going to be late because you're going to be here for a little bit. So there's going to be some people here and they're going to take pictures and talk to you and et cetera, et cetera. So it was good. I, I got out of it with some bruises, um, big bruises, like awesome. Biggest bruises I probably almost ever had, I think. So basically it shoved the, the tank pushed back into me and just ejected me off backwards. So the inside of my, the inside of my legs pretty much down to my knees were, were bruised um, from my waist down and, um, yeah. So. And the second time, the second time was, was, uh, not on duty. It was training. Uh, it was a training day and, uh, um, we were doing this exercise where you're doing hard accelerations, maximum braking, U-turns and hard accelerations, kind of a, an oval kind of a thing, long oval. And for unknown reasons at this point, the the front end locked, which the bikes have ABS. They shouldn't lock and uh, or at least they shouldn't. They don't stay locked. They momentarily like ABS, how it works. It's, you know, it senses a lockup. It then releases brake right. and faster than humans can, you know, apply the brakes and release the brakes. But this didn't do that. It it locks. So I remember grabbing. I shouldn't say grabbing, but. You know, because you don't ever grab anything, they say, in motorcycling. But applying the front brake at maximum braking and then just filling the ground 
and that was it. <laughs> Splat and ground sky, ground sky. And uh, I could hear the bike scraping as it just left me and it's still going. And it's going, and it's going, and it's going, and it's coming back around. Oh, no. Do you got to get me? And another one of my training buddies and pulls up and blocks it from hitting me again. So, I mean, it wouldn't have hurt hitting me again like that. But, you know, it was like, uh, what is it, that Mortal Kombat game? Finish it. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, that's the joke. So, uh, um, yeah, I got out of that relatively ish unscathed not really unscathed but some bruises big bruises some stitches a concussion so i gotta taste my first concussion that i'm aware of (laughs) (laughs) so it was a few a few weeks of tasting sounds and smelling colors and all kinds of fun stuff like that oh man um yeah i wasn't i didn't think it was that big of a deal but um the second day it was a big deal <laughs> um when i you know was sick and it made me sick and i was dealing with uh, all that stuff that that comes with a concussion that i'd never dealt with before so um never had any light sensitivity so that was good i didn't have to worry about that and no recurring headaches just a couple weeks of being dizzy and you know tasting sounds so tasting <laughs> it was, sounds, that's it was good so <laughs> And some good scars, you know. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. So. So what are you doing? What's your assignment now? Uh, assignment now is uh, training. I help with training. Oh, not a bad gig at all. No, that's good. <laughs> uh, stuff I was doing anyway, a lot. Um, and now it's uh, it's full time. And yeah, so they've uh, it, we've expanded that. So we've got like five and a sergeant. No. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Yeah. 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 Right on. Yeah, it's good. It's pretty fun. It's, I mean, I still, I still love the motorcycle. I mean, I'm still a trainer on it. So that's. Well, what made um, you get off? The, just this opportunity. Oh. Yeah. You know, I mean, the people also that I'd be working with, you know, the supervisor, uh, some of the other, some of the other guys that were there. And uh, I enjoy training people, helping and teach, and um, both new and current officers. So, are you guys all still on squat? Yeah, and uh, myself, and then two other guys that are out there are, and then one guy that I was on motors with that he's not on squat. But um, yeah, it's fun. It's good stuff. Yeah, so. it's a good crew. Yeah. Now I see why you want to be out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I I love being on the bike and all that stuff that it did. And, um, I mean, I guess I'd be kidding myself if I say it wasn't hard on my body. My hips hurt from getting on and off the bike. Uh, my shoulder hurts. Um, and not necessarily any of these are from the crash. The hip is a little bit, but it hurt before now it just hurts all the time. So, um, (laughs) But it's, uh, it is a little bit, you know, besides obviously being dangerous, being on a motorcycle and being a motorcycle officer is completely different than just being a motorcyclist because, you know, you're looking, trying to, trying to keep yourself safe from just riding a motorcycle, trying to watch out for the people who don't watch out for motorcycles, 
Um, try to watch out for people maybe who don't like cops. And then, you know, you're riding, we ride it all year round. So unless there's snow or ice on the ground, you're out there. Um, so visibility gets worse in the rain and the surfaces are bad. Leaves, this time of year is terrible for leaves. Um, it's just different. And then you put in yourself into some sort of enforcement mode where you're looking for stuff. And uh, it's really, it's pretty easy <laughs> to do because you're a little higher elevated spot and you're a little smaller profile. So it's easy to quote unquote sneak up on people, you know, riding people's blind spots. If you're trying to use is that somebody that's talking on their phone and you see lots of stuff, people picking their nose. We can see you. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people you can see that you're like, I'm going this way. I'm doing this. I can't stop you, but I see you. Um, you know, some of the funniest stuff I've, I remember. And, and this was back even, I think in patrol on a car, this guy was, I was next to this guy and he didn't have a seatbelt on, but I'm headed to a call. So he doesn't know that I can't stop him. I'm busy going to something bigger. And I'm looking over and each time, and I look away and each time I look away, he's moving his hand closer and closer. He's grabbing the seatbelt and he's pulling it. And then it'd be like, that's a red light, green light. I look over and he'd stop and I look away in his hand and move. And I look back and I kept messing with him. Finally, I rolled my window and I go, just put it on. I go, it's okay. So, you know, sometimes you can have fun. You don't have to. Not everybody has to have a ticket. Voluntary compliance. That's all we're looking for. So voluntary compliance. So sometimes it takes other means to get that. But this is, So this will be a two-parter. What's the funniest thing you, you've rolled up on without anybody knowing you were there until you're like, hey, what are you doing? Well, yeah. Put you on the spot. No, that's all right. There's... They all tend to usually revolve around people having sex. So that's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking even like when I was on patrol working, you know, you work in the, you'd go check the parks as the parks close at like 11 or so. And so the parks are closed, can't be in the park. And you go to these parks and we have a few parks in our city and uh, they're not as, um, remote as I think people think they are. So you would often roll up on, uh, roll up on that windows would be steamed, you know, so you're darked out, you've darked out and rolled in, you know, flipped on whisper mode <laughs> on your, <laughs> on your handy, handy patrol vehicle, police interceptor. And, uh, so you're going to go up there and, you know, cause you want to see, <laughs> see what you think you see. And, um, usually, you know, a little rap on the window after a few moments of standing there and then, uh, see how fast people can get dressed partially. And, um, uh, so there's a few of those park ones like that. Um, one was not a park one. It was a noise complaint. Another guy and I went to a noise complaint late night and the noise complaint wasn't. So we're walking through like front yards, you know, you park a ways away, you're going to skulk in, listen and we're passing this house and we're in the front yard and we look up at the front window and it's summer and the window the windows are open uh the blinds are 
not completely like the Venetian blinds. They're not completely closed. So you can see some and they've got a, there's a fan going. And every time the fan blows on these blinds, it kind of opens and they flutter and you can see in the house. And there's a, a guy and a girl on the couch, <laughs> on parts of the couch, like the back of the couch, the side, the arm of the couch. And they are, they are having at it big. And me and me and this other guy are walking. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> so we stand by there to make sure that this is a consensual type safe activity. And uh, we watched for, you know, not a creepy amount of time, but we watched a little bit. And then we're like, okay, this looks fine. And then we moved on and dealt with our noise complaint down the street. <laughs> so um, I think as far as on the bike, I stopped a car... So the driver, the passenger wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Actually, both the driver and passenger weren't wearing a seatbelt. So in, in a motor officer's eyes, it's like, that's a double. That's that's good stuff. That's not quite the no seatbelt in a Volvo, you know, known as one of the safest vehicles made. But <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. So I, I pull this vehicle. I pull out behind it. Leaves the main uh, road that we're on, circles under under this bridge and parks. And as soon as the vehicle comes to like almost a stop, I'm starting to get off. And this person in the back, in the right front seat, is a female, dives into the back seat, grabs a toddler who I didn't even know was there because I couldn't see um, the, the child seat that was that young goes back to the front seat and by now I'm walking up I'm at to the door she pulls her boob out and this now the kids nursing and I'm like what are you doing and besides I knew I mean I knew what she was doing I like first I'm like why are you doing that in such a I mean she's like oh the but I, I think she was just spun out and didn't she didn't know what to do and I don't know if she figured that if maybe I got a quick look that that was going to absolve her from getting a citation. I don't know, but I just like, I just can figure out what the hurry was to the car's not even stopped. And she's diving and grabbing this kid and flops her boob out and puts this kid on the nipple. And I thought, okay, uh, all right, well, you just keep doing what you're doing. I'll, I will need to see some ID from both of you. And so I went on about my way of that, but. That was a strange uh, occurrence. So, <laughs> I guess. I, I just didn't get the, I mean, I've been hungry before, but yeah, interesting. So, <laughs> it was different. That's the, that, that'll, this'll be first. Yeah. First, yeah. The first breastfeeding story. For yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And you always have the, uh, I've got to go to the bathroom ones. You know, stop for speed. I, I, you know, I'm sick or I, I stopped a guy and he pulls over in front of this business that I knew of. And it was a motorcycle shop, actually. And uh, he's like, oh, I, I really got to go to the bathroom. I really got to go bad. I'm like, well, I, I'll watch your kids. I mean, he had two kids in the backseat. They were probably 10 or something. So he went into the store to the, the motorcycle shop. I go, well, I know that he'll, he'll let you use the bathroom. So 
wrote my ticket and <laughs> well, watching his kids and he comes back. Now, if he didn't have to go, he, he played it through the whole way. So good on him if, if he didn't have to actually go. But <laughs> I believed him. He had that look on his face and, you know, the back sweats and that whole thing. <laughs> so I, I bought it. And uh, the speed was a little egregious more so than what otherwise I probably wouldn't have wrote him. But um, I guess there might have been a little back part of me that wasn't believing it. But um, I did write him a citation, though. So so he thanked me. Most, most I'd say 95% of the people thanked me at the end. I don't know if it's because they don't know what to say or... No, it's because you know how to sell your ticket. Well, and yeah, right. that's why. Yeah, it is. I mean, honestly, it is the silver tongue. It's you know, I, I tell people that, and when I worked in retail before this job, is like, and we were taught there, and I learned a ton at that job that I used every day on this job. Is I treat people for their actions. That that's you know, that's that's why we're talking because you did X, Y, or Z. Now, you might be a great, nice person. You might be the worst person in the world. I don't know that. I don't know you. In some cases, you know people. But um, you stop a lot more uh, regular, quote unquote, the normal people in this position of, you know, driving around, riding around for traffic stuff because everybody drives. And nobody, not everybody is as good of a driver or maybe as perfect as a driver as they might think they are. I mean, we all speed, we all do stuff. A lot of it's time and place. And, um, usually in front of a motor officer is not a good time. So, um, that happens, you know, and there are plenty of warnings handed out, but there are plenty not. And sometimes people just, um, very few would made it about something else, you know, trying to get your quota. It's the end of the month. And I'm like, and my, my standard comeback was, no, my sergeant said I can write as many tickets as I want. Yeah, there you go. And <laughs> I used that. I used it in court before because, you know, when they'll try to dig you in court if they take you to court. And I just like, no, I can do as many as I want. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that, that whole, you know, it just, it's it's disheartening to hear sometimes because some, some people adamantly believe that you have to, you have a quota, you have to, it's like, I don't, they can't, <laughs> they can't do that. So, um, at least they don't at our part, at our department. And I, uh, and you have discretion and, um, they trust us with a lot of big decisions people's civil liberties, sometimes life and death decisions. And they trust us that we'll make decisions of writing citations, whether they're warranted or not. Um, as far as our decision to write them, um, you know, there's plenty of violations out there and it's just, uh, and you can't be everywhere. You know, you get complaints. Well, I never see you on my streets. Like I work this like every week, but in, in people's eyes, perception is reality. And if I don't see you, then you're not here. Well, maybe I'm sitting two blocks down on your street or whatever it might be. You remember when, you remember when car, well, actually your cars were blue and white. Yeah. But ours were white. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. I grew so, up. Uh, oh, oh, right, right. Yeah. So I've been there since like 76. 
well, in that town. So I remember <clears throat> said it, it, this along the same lines, like we never see, you know, a yeah. patrol car. And yeah. like at, uh, when the, the, the station was at, you know, the most commonly turned corner from the street to get to the station. Was, yeah. You know, and that of course at that time was like one of the busiest section of the city that there was because of the bars and like, yeah. the activity down there and whatnot. Like we never see a patrol car down there. Well, as soon as he had the cars painted black and white, that totally changed. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was born in Southern California, Orange County, but then we moved here when I was like two. So I've been in the state since then. So since 1970. So uh, um, I always thought how cool it'd be to live there, but that was mostly from watching Chips. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those guys got to do all the coolest stuff. Go-karts, BMX, dirt bikes, surfing, wet bikes. So you're saying you didn't do any of that stuff while you were... <sighs> no. This bacon, by the way, is amazing. Yeah, good. What's the nuts that are on it? Pecans. Oh, wow. mm, Pecan okay. chips. I'll give you the recipe after. It's super easy. Yeah, don't don't say it on there. No, God. <laughs> no, it's awesome. It's easy too. And too bad it's not a YouTube. Uh... <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, I didn't do any of the cool stuff that those guys did. Um, so, we did cool stuff and have fun at the games. You know, people. It's a whole different thing, you know having a college in your town that football games, we work the games. So we do pre and post team escorts um, and then traffic stuff kind of in between. But there's, there's a portion of time where you're just like right when you're done with the pre escorts till like kickoff, you you're putting out little fires with traffic, you know, influx of people coming in, but you get to hang out. There's some, there's some time there you can hang out and we would find ourselves, you know, hanging around the stadium and just being seen. It's different for people. Um, not in that enforcement mode. People just, you know, people get up next to you and you're like, wow, you know, <laughs> like you're human, but, also, like, wow, these bikes are big. They look so small when you're riding around. It's like, well, yeah, you're driving a car. <laughs> it's small compared to a car. But, yeah, when you get up next to them, they're, they're kind of big. They're, you know, 700 pounds loaded with stuff. And, you know, and the things you can do with them are, are pretty amazing that um, a bike that big you wouldn't think could do. Uh, but, you know, with the training and the practice on them all the time, that you can make them do a lot of a lot of cool stuff. Did you start on a BMW or a Kawasaki? Uh, BMW is the first bike I worked off of. Training-wise, I trained on a Kawasaki and then went back and you did a three-day transition course to the BMW. So first two weeks, the 80 hours was on a, was on a KZ, mm. uh, which was fun. You know, it was, you know, reliving, reliving the childhood you know, of Ponch and John and, you know, these bikes were all stripped down and the first week they're all stripped down of everything, no fairing on them. They don't want you knocking, you know, breaking them and crashing them all the time. And, uh, 
And then the second week where you're actually hitting the road and doing some stuff, um, they put all the stuff back on it, made it fully street legal and things like that. So, but we have a time where we were doing, uh, the first week we're taking them off road. They're showing you like, this is what you can do with these things. Um, now not a lot of agencies were still running those bikes cause they quit making them in the late nineties, but, um, or the early nineties, mid nineties, like early nineties. But, um, they could go, I mean, the bigger front wheel, the 19 inch wheel, I think they, they could go off road. I mean, we hammer these things through some river wash river rocks and up some goat trail hill. And they're like, all right, like, only one person's made it up this hill or something. And you're like, all right, <laughs> let's see. Let's see how this works. So um, it was good. So it was fun. And what year did you get on SWAT? 2001. Yeah. So what was the first big call you went to? And what was your position? My position was uh, on utility. You. A new person started, you started on a utility, what they call a utility team. So you were utility guys, you you ran gear around where it needed to be, um, mostly to the entry guys, you know, if they needed stuff, um, bring them water, you know, uh, but you also brought them gear. You were also, the utility guys were also responsible for gas, so gas grenadiers, um, so fairly soon I was on a gas team. So me and another guy were a gas team and there were like two or th three gas teams. Um, at that time, our team was pretty big. It was like 26, 30 people. Um, uh, when you started where on, was it on a Metro? The, yeah. Was it, okay. it was a Metro team. It was a combined team, County and city. So, and, and you had a lot of work cause you had the whole County versus just your city. And uh, we had a lot of work, you know, a lot of work in the county back then. They were still knocking, you know, knocking doors in for meth labs or uh, selling meth and grows, marijuana grows, um, things like that. Um, I think in my first big one was probably one that ended in a shooting. Um, it was a little bit out of town. So it was still in our county. It's a call. I was working graveyard already. And then they pulled the big red handle like 11-ish at night on this call. It was a domestic. It's in a trailer park. And allegedly, this uh, the female shot the guy in the face. and But she was still in there with him. Um, she was not seen. She was seen as the victim in this. And... Uh, guy was drinking and I don't recall if there were other, I think there were some other shots fired. And then once the whole team gets there, surround the place, try to talk to them, that doesn't work. Introduce gas. And this was a trailer. Um, it might've been just a, cause this trailer park had both like mobile homes and uh, tow behind trailers in it that people would stay in. So like big 28, 30 foot tow behind trailers. And I don't recall if his was like, I think his was like that. It was a big tow behind, but what happens basically is we start shooting gas into the place. Like 
37 at that time, 37 millimeter gas, and it's going through <laughs> in one side and out the other side and hitting <laughs> stuff downrange, you know, from us. And in some cases, I, I remember some of it hitting a motorhome where a couple guys are hiding under, you know, a couple of our guys were down the ways and they're like, Hey, that's, you know, you're hearing this thump and you're like, Oh, oh. so <laughs> sorry, but we kept shooting gas cause that's what we did. And, um, we shoot all the gas we have and we have no more. We don't have any more when we, it's gone. And, uh, most of, mostly because it just kept going through the place and out the other side. So there's not getting the desired effect in there. <clears throat> By then, the <clears throat> excuse me, the female's gone. She she had evacuated herself out of there. So we just have a basically a lone barricaded subject. And there's conversation with him. Um, but each time we would shoot gas in there, he would shoot back at us with his, with a gun. To me, it sounded like a, a twenty two. Probably like a, it was like rapid fire. You know, in my mind, I was thinking like a 1022 Ruger or something that was ripping off shots. And, um, you know, so he's just kind of shooting back towards wherever the gas was coming from. We're out of gas. We're tired of getting shot at. They're going to decide that they're going to use the bomb squad robot and go up there and place a charge um, with the robot and blow this door off. And if the guy's standing there, then. We're at this, we're at the point where that's justified. So, but it, it's a dud. <laughs> it was, it didn't go off. You heard a little pop from the, uh, uh, blasting cap and that was all you heard. And so that was a nothing. So they're just trying to scratch their heads and we were going to use a fire hose or so finally some talking, he says, I'm going to come out at four o'clock and get some more beer. And we're thinking, well, he says he's going to come out. Great. We told him to leave his gun. Don't bring the gun out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he, four o'clock comes roughly, and he does come out. He opens the door. And uh, so I was a gas guy. I was out of gas, so I don't have my, uh, my rifle with me because I was carrying gas and all that junk. So I just have my handgun. And we have a plan that if he comes out, We'll get him down to the driveway, toss a flashbang, tackle him. Because we have a group of guys that are closer, real close, like a shed in the driveway. At the end of the driveway, there's like a little shed. They're standing behind the shed. We figure we can make this work. So he comes to the door, and uh, you can't see him. He's kind of bladed. And I'm like, hey, we're talking to him. or yelling at him. And they're talking up like, they're no more speaker talk. They're like talking to him, just open air. And uh, then he turns and you can see this gun, which looked like about four feet long, but it was like a 44 Magnum. It was a big gun. But when you're standing that close, it looked big. And he's like holding it. And we're telling him, hey, drop the gun, on and on and on. And I'm thinking, why is this guy's head not exploding from a sniper? He's not listening. He's, he's walking. He's on the like the stoop of the uh, trailer. Well, finding out later, like their view was blocked. All they could see was like shins or something. Something had changed in the 
and they didn't have, they had no shot. So that's why. So they didn't see any of that. He turns and he's coming down. He's making his way down the steps and we're like a driveway away from him. And when he hits the last step, he gets shot by several people. So, um, I have a flashbang in my hand as he's coming down the steps. I'm thinking, well, I think the plan's changing. <laughs> so I'm trying to put this thing back away. Uh, I got my handgun out and it happened so fast with all these other people shooting. I'm like, well, I just, I don't need to shoot. So, okay. <laughs> he goes down. Um, we go running up myself and another officer cuff him. Uh, medic, our medic comes up at that time. We had a medic on the team. He comes up. Um, the other guys go to the house, go to the trailer to help clear it and to make sure it's, it's good. And, um, that was pretty much it. He, he was, the medic had pretty much called him there. And then the other medics came up and that was pretty much, he is deceased there. So that was probably, probably the first big one. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Was that done? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. My, uh, some of my first ones, uh, I remember uh, still on utility and we go to some rural place and we're going through this outside, like it's a little, either a chain link or a short wood fence. We go through this and here comes this big, dog pit bull running at us and i'm not in front i'm like two or three back four back or something i don't know but somebody let's start a couple shots into this thing because it's like coming um charging at him not like hey how's it going but like i'm gonna eat you oh yeah so they, they shoot it and you know you're like oh yeah this is real <laughs> and uh you know, you hate to see an animal get shot, but it's just like, because it's not the animal's fault. It's really how they were raised in their environment. But it's like, also, you're not going to be some chew toy for a 120-pound, you know, yard carp. So it's like, <laughs> no. I've never heard that phrase. Yeah. It's, uh, and then the first time I uh, got on entry, my first entry to a, into a house, I'm like, probably five, six back. And I have 40 millimeter by then we have upgraded to 40 millimeter. And, uh, I remember earlier back in 37 millimeter days, we didn't have any good sighting system on it. Just some iron sights, you know, and we're on a, some night call and I'm a gas guy. We're trying to put gas into this small bathroom window in an upstairs apartment. And I'm like, I can't see the sights cause it's dark. <laughs> So we have snipers. I'm like, thump. And they're like, uh, foot left. And I'm moving and <laughs> thump. And I'm hitting around this window and they're just kind of calling it in. And so we finally figured out that we needed some sort of better sighting system uh, on our gas guns, which we got. And, but uh, it was kind of funny. So I'm, my first entry, I'm going into this, this uh, house and I've got a 40. I'm like number six or so back. And we go in and I'm hearing dog, dog, dog. And then a bunch of shots. And I think, holy crap, 
it's like, we're going to a gunfight and I've got the wrong tool, you know? And it was, a, it was a big dog is what it was. And, uh, they'd cover this dog up and, you know, we'd finished our business and then came back and covered it up. And the owner didn't know that <laughs> that's what had happened. Cause the owner was back in the back bedroom or something. And the whole time we're, they're sitting there and they're, you know, his dog's covered up there in this blanket. This thing was huge too. And, uh, He's just like, well, where's my dog? And nobody wanted to tell the guy that <laughs> you're sitting kind of near it, but it was too bad. But it was an it was a it was an eye opener for the first one, you know that that anxiety of going through the door on entry entry stick, and then a bunch of shots going in front of you. You can't see what's going on because you're so far back, and you're holding a less lethal, and you're like, ah, oh, geez. <laughs> but it worked out so. It was good. The uh, one of the scarier things that I remember doing early on, I was a scout. Later, we were rotating our scout positions, and we we're doing this big scout in some in the western rural part of the county. And the approach was terrible. You couldn't drive up on the place because you'd be seen. It was a really long driveway off the road, so you try to drive by, you know, in your creeper van with your video recorder camcorder back then taking pictures and and it's like this we, we got nothing so this was for like some cockfighting ring so you know it's apparently it's a thing it was a thing still um some big cockfighters and uh so that doesn't work we're like well okay so we decide that we're gonna go in at night through this field so that doesn't work so we go in the other way this other side of the place with night vision and we had a few suppressed mp5s on the team so we took those because we heard they have dogs you know so we took our suppressed mp5s night vision we're walking through some orchard i'd never been under night vision I don't think ever before. And what year? What year are we talking about? Or We're talking two thousand, uh, probably two, three. So the night vision is not. It's not like what yeah, we have now, right? <laughs> you know, it's not PVS fourteen, but it worked. It was the mostly like I was amazed how well I could see. I mean, we'd play with them, but we didn't have enough for every person. It wasn't that kind of thing like we do now, like everybody has them. It was only like, oh, there's three pairs. <laughs> Rochambeau, you get you get one. Mm-hmm. So those three scouts are wearing these. Well, I'm freaked out because I can see like a bat, you know, like a cat. I can see. I'm afraid, and the, I can hear the hearing of walking on the leaves. And, <laughs> you know, I was just afraid that I could be seen so well. But you took those night vision off and you couldn't see crap. It was so dark in that orchard. But it was, that was, at that time, that was scary to me. Like, I was just so amped that A, that we're gonna, the dog was going to come to the fence. We're going to have to shoot a dog or something. It never did. but um, And it still didn't work. So we ended up finally getting a helicopter um, and doing it with a helicopter. So, and even then, you know, you can't like hover above the place. 
you know, for very long. We were like, oh, you scouted it. With we scouted it with a helicopter. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, my first helicopter ride. So that was kind of interesting. <laughs> it's good, especially for someone who gets motion sickness. So, did you throw up? No, I didn't. I was able to keep it together. So, <laughs> but it was strange. It's like, oh, we're off the ground. My stomach is still down there. So he he, he took you went up at the sheriff's office. Yeah, but it was in a different. It wasn't that bird. It was a different one because that thing was always broke. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I went up with the one that always broke. Yeah. And uh, he, he, I was fine until <clears throat> he started, like he went over a, the top of a greenhouse and started doing orbits. And I was like, oh my God, like, I am going to, I was in the back seat, you yeah. know, the doors off and stuff. I'm yeah. Like, I am going to get sick. <laughs> right into the tail rotor. Wow. Yeah. No, <laughs> thankfully I did not get sick, but um, yeah, it was different. It was cool. And it ended up being a successful, you know, mission. I guess we got the cockfighters, those cocksuckers. <laughs> I don't know. But it was a big deal at the time. So it was kind of cool. Cockfighting's still a thing in the Philippines. I think it's a thing in a lot of places except here. Yeah. Well, it probably is even here just underground, obviously, because it's not, I don't think it's so much legal in our states. But I don't know. Maybe it is somewhere. The, so there was an actual arena that, we went. So funny story. So I go over to uh, we're south of Manila to do lifeguard training for this uh, for a cruise line, and we have a day off. And this guy that I'm with is from Florida, and he goes, "Well, we can go." They're like, "You can go to the beach, or you can go to I can't remember what this place is called, or you can go to ride a, go across this lake, and ride a horse to the top of a volcano." And I was like. And there's a lake at the top of the volcano. And I was like, well, I've, I've I, seen this movie. I've seen, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like, you know where I live, right? And he's like, where? I'm like, dude, you've ever heard of Crater Lake? Like, we have, you know, we have a lake with an island and, <laughs> you know, at the top of a volcano. I, I don't, I'd rather go to the beach. Well, he's, so he says, you know, we, we need to go do this thing. And I'm like, whatever. So this, this guy that drove us, Raymond was his name. He used to be a government driver. Like he would drive like dignitaries around and whatnot. That was cool. The guy was cool as shit. So he drives us to this lake and negotiates a boat ride across. And But while we're standing there waiting for the boat, um, I'm like, what? I go, Raymond, what's what's all the rooster noises? And he's like, cockfight. And there's like, a, there's that actually an arena. Yeah. You know, there was, I'm like, I want to go in and like take a look. And he's like, not a chance, buddy. Like, you are not, you are too Caucasian to go in there. I'm going to go. I was like, okay. Good advice. <laughs> yeah. Taken. Yeah. I don't think we, I don't remember even seeing any there. So. It's not like we liberated a bunch of cocks. So. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't recall. But that wouldn't have been our job anyway. So I don't know. Cock liberation. That's right. <laughs> that yeah. might be the name of this episode. Yeah. Cock liberation. Yeah. CLO. CLO. Cock liberation organization. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. So. <laughs> All right. So what's the what's the hottest call you've been to? Um, you've probably been to several. 
yeah, that's, you know, you know how it is. They all, they get pushed away. <laughs> they get pushed back into the back, you know, where they say like, uh, doing this job is like, uh, you have a backpack and each call you go to, you pick up, it's a pebble that gets tossed in your backpack. And then someday, somehow that backpack gets full of rocks and it's heavy <laughs> and then stuff starts falling out of it and gets shoved away or lost or whatever. But, um, probably a bank robbery where it was an actual bank robbery and an actual bad guy. Um, it was, uh, on a Friday and I remember, uh, it was later in the day cause you know, Fridays, you know, usually every few weeks you have a bank robbery on Fridays in our, at least in our little town, Oh yeah, which is pretty high per capita for bank robberies. Knock on wood. There hasn't been any in a bit, but, um, so I'm out on the West end of town. Anyway, I was headed to some, uh, we were getting ready to get some new helmets and the helmets we were getting didn't come in the police, what they call H pattern color, the white over black. And uh, so I was going to have these helmets painted that way. These were a trial thing that I was trying to get on board with some new fangled whiz bang helmet. So I'm heading over to a local paint place to say, hey, do you think you could do this? And anyway, so I'm like literally in that driveway. Um bank robbery comes out the tone and um that tone where you stop what you're doing because something's actually happening and um you know uh so you're like oh and you wait okay and then oh well that's just up the street so it's like literally a few blocks literally a couple blocks to the west of where i'm at well there's another officer across the way on a side street he's coming up to this main thoroughfare and I we pulls I pulled up next to him I'm on my bike and I say hey I'll go to the west and he, and he first he said I'll go take the east here behind this restaurant I said great I'll go west the west block is really really long it's probably like two block sizes you know um, so I park and it's two block sizes and like a few businesses, several businesses anyway. And he's like literally let a half block away. So he's close to it, but he's tucked away behind a restaurant in a, like a, a driveway, some businesses, like a panhandle businesses, sort of industrial stuff. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to wait here. And I'm thinking, so I, I get all the way down there and park and wait, and I'm waiting for a description. I'm thinking, why is it taking so long to get a description? Because usually, you know, they they go in, they give their note, or they do whatever they do. They leave, they call, hey, yeah, uh, this guy he looked like this or gal, and they went this way. Well, none of that comes out. You know, I'm like waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and then I remember hearing the other officer get on the radio saying, shots fired. And I'm like, oh, geez. You know, so... And I know where he's at, so I make a U-turn and scream down this side street, this side road here. And uh, mentally, I'm planning, like, I'm going to a gunfight. And I've already thought about this stuff before, and I'm thinking, okay, if the guy's there and I see him, I'm just going to run him over. 
<laughs> yes, I will fall off, but I'll be okay. But um, this isn't, you know, shooting from your horse sort of stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I thought, depending on, you know, what the situation was, that was that was an option in my mind. Um, so I'm flying up to the corner to where I can start to see. As I'm coming up, I'm looking. I see the police car. I see this guy down in front of it. And the officer is behind the police car. So I'm thinking, okay, that's a good sign. I don't have to run this guy over and the officer's not hurt. So I park my bike in the street. I go walking up there. I didn't run for whatever reason because I figured, well, he's laying on the ground. He's not moving. I'm not, why do I need to run? But I'm looking at the officer thinking, I thought, are you all right? I'm talking to him. And he's like, yeah, I'm good. He had a gun. It's like, okay. And I'm looking to see if his fingers outside the trigger guard, because he's pointing the gun towards the bad guy, which I'm now standing by or walking up to. And I'm trying to see if like, does he have his finger out of the trigger guard? Cause I don't want to have my AD and shoot me. And, um, not that he would, but you'd never know. And so I'm like, okay. So he does, he's safe. And, uh, so I'm trying to get my, my, uh, rubber gloves out of my pocket, my cargo pant pocket of my pants. And, um, it's not working. <laughs> it's like the, the monkey with the food, you reach into the hole, grab the food with your fist and you can't pull it out. <laughs> That's what it was like. My, I had my fist grabbing my gloves, but only part of my pant came on Velcroed and I, I couldn't get anyway. It's all on video, I guess. Well, it is. I saw it later of the car in car video, but so I go up there, this guy's laying on his back. He's bleeding profusely from his neck. Um, he's got like Unabomber sunglasses on is what I thought. And, uh, like shorts and just like some regular and a hat, maybe had a hat on it. I think he did. But, uh, so I'm like, oh, wow. So I shoved my hand on it. That's what I, all I had and shove it. Cause we didn't carry, I don't think we carried, well, I know we didn't carry, uh, at least I didn't at the time tourniquets and stuff. This is probably like 11 years ago or so. Yeah. Um, so I just put pressure on it, on his neck and it's squirting between my fingers and going everywhere. And I'm thinking, Oh shoot, well, this isn't working very well. So another guy pulls up in a car and he's got a wad of, uh, paper towels that we keep these things of paper towels in the cars for stuff, usually for spilling your coffee and stuff like that. But he goes, <laughs> bringing over a wad of these paper towels. And I stuff that on the guy's neck, see the gun on the ground by his feet. And, uh, so we're working on him. Right? We're just there really holding a placeholder until the medics get there. Um, and uh, that was pretty much it. They came there and took him off. He he died like four days later or something. But uh, He pretty much walked in front of, if I, if I recall yeah. correctly, walked in front of that officer's car, right? Yeah, what he did is he walked to, the, I, I think what it was is his getaway car was parked beyond where the officer was parked. He walked to that officer, stuck his hand in his pocket, which had the gun in it, reached out, racked around out of the gun because he maybe didn't remember what condition his gun was in, and shot one at the officer. Well, at the time, the officer was not seeing his car by then, as a good officer wouldn't be. He's already out of the car, going to say, hey, what's going on? <laughs> and the guy shoots at him. Well, he shoots back at him. Uh and ends up shooting him 
uh, shoots him in the neck and uh, dropped him like a dropped him like a rock. It was on the video you can see it. It was it definitely did its did its thing. So it was pretty wild. Yeah. And uh, and also, if I recall correctly, like there was some investigations into who the guy was. And yeah. The last I heard, it was the guy was kind of an enigma. Yeah, and but he had been doing uh, he had been doing robberies up and down the I five corridor. Oh, okay. In other states. Yeah, he was doing other. This wasn't like oh, I'm gonna see how this goes. He was that's what he was doing. Yeah, um, he knew the drill. Yeah, it just didn't. Uh, yeah, he got. Uh, you got to admire his commitment. Yeah, I mean, because usually, <laughs> and and turns out later what we had learned, if I remember right, is the reason why it was taking so long is because he was going to every teller. He didn't just go to one teller; he hit several tellers in the bank. So it wasn't a note or a gun or a telling you I have a gun. He hit every teller to take money. And then left. That's why it took, because I'm down there. I remember waiting. He's like, where is, why are we not getting an description? What, what's going on? Because well, usually by the time you get there, like the guy's like gone. Right. Well, he was still there, obviously. And yeah, because yeah, he took the time. Maybe he was greedy. It was hanging out. So, um, yeah, that's one that comes to mind that was, um, yeah. A few months ago, there's a SWAT call where we're shooting gas in. He's shooting back at us with not gas, with bullets, with a rifle. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, well, at the time, early on, let's see, he, yeah. So the first, we were shooting gas in. He's shooting back. Um, I'm not. Uh, one of the guys shooting the gas, I'm holding a ladder for somebody to climb on this roof. It's a co- bunch of condominiums and we're on a, we're on the garage area of these. They're not attached. So we're on the garage roof. They are, I'm holding the ladder and I got the dumb into the ladder cause I'm, you know, um, stocky as they say. <laughs> so I'm holding the ladder. These guys are up on the ladder. And they're way younger than me, so they could be up on the ladder because I've done all that stuff. So, um, But the guys start shooting back at them. And those guys are like, uh-oh, because they're on a roof. And they're like trying to get as flat as they can on this roof. And a round comes out of this garage because I'm standing in front of a garage about 15 feet from where I'm standing at about ankle, shin high. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, this guy, this is for real. This guy's actually shooting. Now, we didn't know if he was randomly shooting wherever or if he was shooting towards where stuff was coming from you know um and and he was he was shooting back at the people that were shooting at him at least that's what he thought and uh so it worked out i mean didn't get shot so that was good and the rest of the time we were behind you know armored car so so what happened with uh what happened with this call uh he ended up um coming down coming out but still armed so he was uh he ended up being shot by uh, a couple guys and Hmm. survived because that's what happens sometimes you just you're lucky all right yeah (laughs) just a couple of months ago yeah 
Oh, yeah. So, so, uh, so it shows you what happens when we don't watch the news. Yeah, April-ish. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it was the first day I came back from from this. My first day back. Um, so, yeah. Huh. It was interesting. I don't know. It wasn't super, like, gnarly. But I guess when you when you actually see rounds... You're like, oh, there's a hole in that garage that wasn't there. <laughs> Just <a second laughs> strange, <laughs> you know. Um, so, and other people, you know, were getting, they were shooting, he was shooting out towards the front. And uh, I don't know. I just kind of tucked my head down, my neck, my helmet down, hopefully to cover my neck enough and into my vest. But I said, well, I've got the ladder if you guys want to come down. <laughs> <laughs> so if it had been a shorter jump, they probably would have jumped off, but it was a pretty good, pretty good climb. So what, um, so what's the best pursuit story you've got? Uh, or the, I should say, what's the most memorable pursuits? Cause of, yeah. So yeah, pursuits are, you know, a lot of things have changed in the, police world of pursuits and especially in our department last several years of um, as far as, you know, the ground rules of when you're going to pursue. Um, I have a couple. One is more, one is more shocking. One is more fun. <laughs> and, and one that, well, one that got to be actually a pursuit and one that wasn't a pursuit. Um, I'll start with the one that wasn't a pursuit. I was working, uh, on a, one of the main streets around that is a 40 mile per hour zone. I was on my bike and, um, we work this often and, um, it's near some college apartments or college aged, usually people that live in these apartments, but others do too. So I'm sitting there watching traffic and I hear well before I see a motorcycle like a four into one pipe. I'm thinking, oh, okay, this guy's hauling. And I look and, you know, I, I'm able to get a couple uh, readings. I think, well, I got at least one reading of 107 in a 40. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't super shocked because of what I heard prior to that, all the engine sounds and exhaust. And it's okay. So bam, put the laser away. <clears throat> fly off the curb, um, catch up to him because the traffic is, because he's, there's a corner, there's a, like an S curve. So he's got to slow down some, but there's traffic too. So he slowed down with the traffic. I'm behind him. Uh, my lights are on. Then my sirens on and we make the other part of the S curve and he's going to turn into these apartments and, so I'm like alternating horn siren just to kind of break things up. I'm thinking, I mean, you may not see me or hear me. That happens. So then he looks over his shoulder and then pulls back into the travel lane and just goes. It's <laughs> like, okay, he saw me. So that was my clue. And uh, it's like, well, I'm going to follow the guy for a bit. I know I can't pursue him for this traffic violation, even though it's egregious and big. But our, our policy is not going to allow that. I know that. So I get behind him. His bike accelerates much faster than mine. Um, and uh, he's cresting over the highway into the next city. 
and I'm at about 113. He's a pulling, he's gone to the next intersection almost. And I'm like, okay, clearly he's not stopping. I thought maybe if I showed that, okay, I'm going to be behind you, you can pull over. Well, no, he didn't. He just took off. Then I could see dust from him riding in the center lane, going around traffic. And I thought, okay, well, this is his last, you know, last uh, direction of travel. This is what I think the bike is. That's what I got. And I thought, well, maybe I'll come up here and he'll be crashed. But he was gone. So big adrenaline dump for nothing. <laughs> uh, and that's just, that's what it actually a couple of weeks later. So, you know, I, I put this information to some different people and they actually find a bike that they think is it parked at the, some of those apartments later. See this guy riding again, an off-duty officer does, takes a video of it, and then the guy tears off like an a-hole that he is and through traffic and stuff. So I'm thinking, yeah, that's who I saw. That's him. <laughs> we don't know other than that. Other than, yeah, you, you got nothing. So a couple weeks later, right before a football game, he crashes his bike near... Uh, uh, the intersections of um, kind of near the stadium and stuff like that. But it was a pretty low speed crash. He was like, it sounded like he was riding like a J hole and just reared somebody or did something. But um, they ran the bike and I'm thinking, oh, that sounds like, yeah. So someone <laughs> well, we had, we were busy. We couldn't do anything. We were working on an assignment and thinking, yeah, karma got them. And yeah, he came back with no license suspended, uh, never registered the bike, all kinds of stuff. So karma came and got him. So that was kind of cool. But um, yeah, it was, it worked out in the end. So um, you better not ever ride like that. No, it's not worth it. It's, it's sounds, time and place. It sounds terrifying to begin yeah. with. <laughs> yeah. And that's what happens is it's easy to go fast straight when you start turning corners and, or people pull out in front of you or, Whatever. Um, yeah, it just wasn't good. So, yeah. Anyway. So, the other one was an actual pursuit we got to do. Uh, it was on SWAT, and I was driving one of the vehicles, one of the trucks. Um, this guy was a call a week prior, like a kidnapping call. And, um, of course, things get washed out in the end it's like it's like eh, it wasn't so much of a kidnapping as we thought it was but that's the way it came out and that's you're going with the information you have you know and until you get to the end of it you don't you don't know what you've got it could be people role-playing who knows but so we we've got this guy a kidnapper guy um he's spotted in his vehicle west end of town we've got um uc officers around in their cars we're trying to get there like because he's trying to get back to this address so he's actually moving we want to get him before he gets to this place we'd like to get him in a traffic stop um the plan is we're just gonna we're probably gonna box him in with uh with one of our trucks and um and a car that's there uh, pursuit is authorized because of what this was because this was a shots fired um kidnapping thing um and it, it, that didn't work. The boxing failed. Um, 
and uh, we're we're off in a pursuit. The guy takes off. It's like a Honda, you know. Of course, <laughs> it's a it's a Honda Accord. Um, I don't think it was stolen though, which is strange, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, I think I still have a set of shaved keys. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't, right? <laughs> I mean, anything that resembles a key will work in those those years of cars. So we're off. You know, we're heading. We're in the west end of town. Um, uh, two, you know, one lane each way. It's five o'clock plus, so it's like five ish. It's dark. Um, it might be a little later, but it's anyway. It's dark. Um, we're scooting. This guy's blasting lights like crazy. Um, we're not keeping up because we're in a, you know, six thousand plus pound pickup with four guys in it with equipment and everything, but there's cars ahead of us that are in it. So I'm still, it's in sight. I can still see it. People are calling it. Uh, we make our way, you know, across over to the middle of town, down, um, one of the main Northeast North South roads that run through our city. And we're behind it. Cars are coming into this thing. We're on a different channel than our main operational channel for for working we're on like our SWAT channel other cars are probably scanning and listening and oh okay well they're coming into this pursuit starting to so now you've got marked units ahead of us that have taken the place of the undercover uh the uc cars which is the right thing anyway per policy so we're buzzing along he basically ends up in downtown uh, tries to make a, a right into more of a residential and an officer uh, does a pit maneuver on it, gets the guy spun. The guy ends up up onto the drive or uh, excuse me, the sidewalk next to a business. And we're like close. We're seeing the tail end of this coming up. So car pins him in the front. We came around. I did in the side and pinned him in the door at about 25 or so. <laughs> I pinned him fairly hard because I didn't like, he's not getting out, you know? Um, and he was in complete overload. He had flopped back in his seat hands. You could see his hands sticking up. Um, he was completely, he was, he was in condition black. He didn't know what to do. Um, or as my mom would say, he didn't know whether to go shit or go blind. So <laughs> he was, he was done. And, uh, so we, you know, and then another car pulls the pins him on these. So he was pinned from like three sides. The fourth side had a fence. So he was pinned completely. And I plowed this thing, uh, in our, you know, a three quarter ton pickup. And, uh, it felt good. <laughs> so we've got guys piling out. Um, took him into custody. And um, so that was good. Yeah. And nobody got hurt. So that was the important. Because the guy was driving crazy, uh, busy, dark. I, I want to remember it was, uh, it was like sprinkling. I mean, so I think, you know, traction wise. And, but it, you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. So. I think we're a little bit of both. We're lucky that he didn't kill somebody going through the intersections he was going through. Yeah. Um, because I know our truck was slowing down and clearing them, and it was good. And and plus, we had cars ahead of us, so it was kind of making the wake, you know, 
that blue wake of vehicles. So, um, actually we had one of those few times where you have really good response from drivers on the road of moving over like, Hey, something's going on. They're going to move out of your way. And, uh, cause it could have been really clogged up on some of those streets where roads we were on, but it worked out pretty good, but it was a good, it was a good, it was a good ride. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't make anybody sick in the car. So, <laughs> um, they were, they were happy. So it was a good drive. It was fun. So our guest yesterday said that we should bring up something about him massaging your hamstrings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah, we were a uh, training at, uh, what I call was like one of our baton death march <laughs> things that we were doing. And, uh, it was like June, so it's warm. And I had had issues before with cramps in my legs. Like when we, uh, when we are on the team together, we went through like our, um, SWAT week together and where we, you know, in town, they dump us off somewhere across town and you have X minutes to get to this place. And then you're not there by then the truck leaves and it goes somewhere else and you got to go and you're basically hopscotching through parts of the city, except you're on foot carrying stuff and going through places. Um, you know, I can tell you how deep a certain Salou canal is <laughs> at the West end of town that I never thought I'd have to figure out, but it's about waist deep for me. Uh, you know, we were climbing fences, might've trespassed in a, in the postal office, uh, uh, parking lot going through. And I remember getting cramped. We're almost there and I get cramp in my leg. Ah, you know, you just lock up. And so later, months later, we're doing our training, this training in June up some mountain. And, uh, it, like I said, it was hot and, we're going all over the place and you've got role players who are like uh, recruit officers or role players with paintball guns. So you can't just get from point A to point B on the road because they're traveling the roads and they're shooting at you with paintballs. Pretty fun if you're the guy shooting with paintballs. <laughs> so we've got GPS. Well, guess what? The GPS doesn't work in that thick of the tree canopies and all this stuff. This is early GPS stuff and it's just, it's not working good. So we get done, we finish, we're getting into the back of the, the truck and both of my legs lock up. I'm like at the top, it was like, I got tased and I just timber like a, like a big chunk of wood fall over. And my legs are like locked up cramps. So I've got one guy working on one leg and another guy is over here. Well, this is how I got my wife to marry me. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, stop. <laughs> um, which wasn't him. It was another guy. And, uh, Oh my gosh. I'm like, okay, I'm good. You just stop. I'm good. I remember my stripped down to my underwear and I got ice trying to get ice and stuff. And it was, it was funny. Now, Painful then, funny now. <laughs> a lot he of went, things. He wanted to make sure we yeah. brought that up. Yes. Like he, Riley tried to, I got up and used the restroom, and Riley tried to work him for some dirt on you, and oh. like he wouldn't give you up. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much. I mean, 
I mean, I've got plenty of, you know, you can't make fun of yourself. I remember my first day as a reserve, first day riding along, and I rode with the chief because that's who was available, small town, real small town. And I, uh, (laughs) for whatever reason, and it wasn't because I thought I was cool. It was because I didn't have or didn't think it would show, but my undershirt was like this teal blue, bright blue, <laughs> like something like Sonny Crockett should be wearing <laughs> riding around Miami Vice with tubs. And uh, that's what I had. And <clears throat> turns out you can see your uh, undershirt quite clearly with your uniform on and your vest. Cause the chief's like, Oh, interesting choice of color. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that won't happen again. <laughs> he was good about it. I'm like, he probably had a good laugh later about it. This kid, <laughs> well, kid, I was 30, but Oh yeah. I'm like, Oh, what a dork. What did you do before? So if you started when you're 30, what did you do before that? Worked uh, retail for like nine and a half years at a very highly touted customer service oriented place. Yeah. What made you make the change? You know, it was always something I'd thought about. Um, I think I had the wrong idea of what kind of what it was. Um, You know, I thought it was pulling dead babies out of car wrecks and all that stuff. And certainly that element can be there and, and, or worse, but, um, you know, I had a, I had a coach and, and teacher in high school that often came to where I worked as a customer. And I didn't know that this person was a reserve officer, had no idea. And he's, we got to talk and he's like, you could do this job. You know, because he knew how I was and he'd know me well since I was in high school and this was well after. And so um, I started doing ride longs with uh, um, guys I played baseball against in high school. I was playing softball against them. So I would hook up with like and ride with him. And I started doing ride longs and and I rode with uh so mostly I rode with him. And if he wasn't available, I think I rode with uh, um, a few times. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, so then I thought, well, I've got, I mean, I have a full-time job. Plus, I was a supervisor. So I didn't just put in like 40. It was more like 60 a week or so, you know, 50, 60 hours. And so I did, went the reserve, with the reserve route and um, kind of did that. Did a full year of, basically a full school year of Reserve Academy, four nights a week, half of half Saturdays for stuff for like DTs and driving, um, and firearms, and then um, was a reserve, and then applied and got hired. Right so on. I just figured if it's if it's something I didn't try, I didn't want to be years down the road going. What if? I wish I would have done that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, starting that late, starting at 30 was already, it was, I mean, it was fine. Um, 
But there's also a maturity level that you brought. Yeah. That if you get hired when you're younger. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. So I had some life experience Mm -hmm. in um, just from being my age. And I just didn't, you know, live down in my parents' basement or anything like that and play video games or anything. You know, I worked since pretty much since I was out of high school. You know, the next week out of high school, I had a job and I was working. And uh, I didn't go to college, and so I just worked, and then had a couple jobs, and then got into this retail job for nine years, and it's just stuff opened up, and I thought I gotta, I gotta try it, I gotta do it, and, and doing the ride-alongs was like, oh yeah, yeah, this is, this is, I think this is what I want to do, you know, um, and always just, you know, the thing about helping people, of course, but also I like being part of a team that feeling of a team, that feeling of, uh, uh, information, you know, you're getting information, you get information and stuff that not everybody else does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I try to tell some people, you know, they're not in this job that, you know, some stories on the news or in the paper. It's like, eh, that's kind of what happened. <laughs> that's some of it, but understanding, it's not that they're trying to steer you that that's not what happened. It's just like they don't have all the story and it's because they can't have all the story. It's either sensitive information about the investigation that the police departments can't share. Um, so they go with what they've got. And sometimes it's like, really <laughs> you went with that, <laughs> but I'm not doing that job and I don't want to. So, um, but yeah, it's just that information and being on, you know, having, having information and being on a team is what, I mean, that's really what I, I, you know, playing sports in school. I like that, that team thing. Um, it's fun. And it's, it's, it's a cool, I've got to do a lot of stuff. You know, I got to travel around a little bit around the States doing trainings and, um, different things and experience things that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do had I stayed in my retail job. Um, that job helped me a ton. I mean, I, and I've told the people since that, you know, that hired me there and then that have moved on and they're doing other things. I was like, look, that, that was because there's two things I didn't do well or didn't want to do is talk to people or write. I just didn't do it. I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't like to talk to people. I didn't talk much. I mean, there were days in school that I didn't talk to anybody. I'm laughing because I know that's all you, you do. You, that's all you do. Is you talk <laughs> to people. And I don't know how that happened, but I tell people, it's like, yeah, there were days in high school, like I didn't speak a word because unless I was talked to, I didn't. But now what am I doing? I'm talking to people and I'm writing stuff a lot. Every single day. Yeah. Not as much now. <laughs> Unless on a motorcycle. Um, I mean, writing, but it's short. And I like that quick, the quick turnaround of like, not the drawn out process of something. Some people like that, like being a detective. Um, I admire that job and stuff, but that's just not something that I want to do because I'm not wired to have things drawn out. I like to have a, a quick result. Um, 
So what you're saying is you like constant stimulation? <laughs> yes, constant <laughs> stimulation. <laughs> Finish quickly with my task. No, I, it's a, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it's a cool, I think it's great what they do. I just, that's just not, there's some jobs that I don't want to do that. Yeah, that's just not something I ever thought that I, uh, that I wanted to get into. So, well, to be able to recognize that is like, that's not for me. I mean, yeah. Well, well there's some people's like, I don't know how you stop cars all day. That's stupid. I'm like, well, you have your job and I have mine. And I don't want to work down, you know, uh, down in the parks area. All right. That's just not, that's just not what I want to do. And um, I like traffic before I was a motor, you know. Um, and I like bringing on a motorcycle and it was just, it's perfect, you know, um, and it, it's, it worked out. That's what I wanted. I liked it. How long are you going to keep at it? Well, I don't know. Probably at least five more. I'm eligible in less than three, but I don't know that I'll. That'll go. You gotta have like a plan B, otherwise you're like bored out of your mind. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, I don't have any like skills to fall back on, like building skills. Like, oh, I can go do this. And we'll but don't you, as a motor, weren't you on the major accident team? No. Crash team? Oh, no. Oh, okay. We took crashes, but not. I was not on that that oh, team. Okay. Um, but I am a, a training officer on motors, so. I consider trying to, you know, go work for the, the, uh, the people that, that do that for the state. Um, so yeah, so I don't have any building skills. So <laughs> I, uh, I got a wheelie gene, but I didn't get a building gene. So <laughs> I couldn't build my way out of a, out of a cardboard box. So I can put things back on if they fall off, but if I had to go build something, I didn't get that gene either. Actually. There'd be a lot of <laughs> lot of YouTube tutorials, calling friends. I have a lot of friends that do that, so maybe they'll they'd help me out. They probably would. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't do a lot of that as a kid. I was tinkering on bicycles and motorcycles and that kind of stuff, and playing stick and ball sports. And when how old were you when you started to ride a motorcycle? Looks like I've had too much whiskey. <laughs> uh, so I got my first bike when I was seven. So seven, I guess, right around there. My uncles uh, taught me. He had a Kawasaki 125 that I'd ride on the front, and he'd ride on the back and show me, you know, his hands on my hands and working the stuff and, uh, my dad had ridden, you know, years before that, had bikes and, and, and had still had a couple then they had some, but they didn't really, he didn't really ride then. By the time I started riding, he was kind of done riding probably because he was busy raising a family, <laughs> buying me stuff to, that I could ride. So I thank him for that and, and my mom for not you know, a lot of people, oh, yeah, I can never have a bike when I was a kid. Well, thankfully, they weren't that way. So it was pretty much, I remember getting up in the mornings because I can, where I lived, I could walk down the street a couple houses and over one house and I'm in a field 
and I could ride. And, you know, we lived in the city, but that's at the time it wasn't developed. So I get up in the mornings, like 730, go in the bedroom. Okay, I'm going to go out and ride my motorcycle. <laughs> so I just had to tell them that I was what I was doing, you know, when I was, I don't know, eight, nine, <laughs> eight, probably doing that. And I rode with somebody, had a buddy that down the street that had a bike. So, you know, you'd ride until you got hungry, come back at lunch, get some more gas, go ride some more and uh, come home at night at dusk. <laughs> well, it sounds like work. I know, but <laughs> well, it, sounds like it work was, now, so. it was good. Dirty fun as a kid, you know, you just, you know, kept you out of trouble and mostly and the cops would come once in a while and uh, where we rode was land that was not like city because we lived close enough to where the county line was. And so we knew that, that, well, you can't, you know, it. It was a noise complaint. It wasn't a like you have to leave, you know, because it was a some company, some power company owned the land, oh. and uh, it wasn't like we had permission to ride there. But it wasn't like we didn't have permission to ride there. <laughs> so uh, it, this place we rode all the time. But and, and then in the summer, you know, there would be like I'd be up to like nine bikes down down there riding at this area. People from other, it's kind of like a watering hole, you know. The other the other antelope figure out there's a watering hole there they all come so you get guys from other neighborhoods coming and some guys you know were older guys that would would drive and probably unload a bike or something or ride it on the street i don't know um I, you know i can remember a bunch of these guys's bikes you know that they had you know as a kid had an xr 75 and that it was super cool and a guy had a yz80 and guy had a TM 400 that he said, if you could start it, you could ride it. And it was one of those, you know, if it, if it back, if it backfired on you while you kicked it, it'd bust your leg or throw you over the bars kind of thing. Cause we were just little kids. Yeah. We had no business at all riding that thing, but <laughs> another guy had an RM three seventy, And then, um, I had a little Suzuki 50 that my dad took the lights and blinkers off of. And that's, that's what I had at first. So, which is a both a terrible dirt bike and a street bike probably, but that's what I had and it was that was cool. That was that that was the start of it. And then it's been pretty much had a some storm of some form of a motorcycle pretty much since. There's there's probably a couple months, maybe a year or so when I was like when I got a, I got a new dirt bike for my 12th birthday and uh so there's a short period between when i had that i had a bike that i traded for a foosball table <laughs> <laughs> because i don't know i thought it was a good idea i mean it was i was a great foosball player me and this other kid ruled the middle school in foosball but um i didn't have a dirt bike for a little while so i, I got one for my 12th birthday and that was awesome so and i had that bike for like six years rode and jumped the <laughs> bent the bent the forks and bent the pegs jumping it and all kinds of stuff these guys come over i don't know like six weeks ago two months ago or something and they're like hey we're buying motorcycles and i was like excuse me <laughs> <laughs> both within like three days of each other both bought a bike <laughs> man it gets in your blood and uh i remember <laughs> I mean, I would save my 
well, not my lunch money because I wasn't dumb. I ate <laughs> clearly, uh, but the change I would get like two bucks a day for lunch, you know, through like in high school and lunch was like a buck thirty five and a buck fifty or whatever. But I would save the change. At the end of the week, I could buy gas to ride my dirt bike. <laughs> nice. Now the the weeks that I ran out of premix was a little tougher because then it costs a little more money, so to have to have to get a little money from my parents to go buy the oil too. But, um, and then it was just like, oh yeah, that looks like a good idea. I'll buy that, you know, impulse buy of a CR 500 one day. And, um, you know, I've had some quads and stuff and street bikes starting in 87. Since then I've pretty much had a street bike for a few short months. I didn't have one in 04 late 04 05 and then i got then i bought one then i bought another one like a month later or something so i went from none to two and then then i bought another one in 06 and i sold the other two and then so it's just been kind of a moving around i remember first street bike it was like if it was dry out i was riding i mean it could be 30 degrees i'd be freezing but i'd be out riding because i didn't have whiz bang gear you know had like a an army jacket I got from a friend, you know, um, and you know, jeans and gloves and boots, and that, so that wasn't that was good enough. It was out ride, you know. Um, I was always riding that thing. Took some trips on it with some friends. At least one trip to to California, to Laguna Seca. We like two thousand oh, mile really? trip. It was fun. It was good stuff. Um, been to Canada. Um. I haven't had any long trips in a while. Just, I don't know. Work. Have you always had like sportier street bikes? Um, Yeah, for the most part. Um, I went, so yeah, my first bike was a Hurricane 600 when they first came out. And I had that for three years and bought a GSXR 1100. I had that for a couple years. Then the CBR 900s came out. I got one of those. But I still had the 1100, so I had both for a short time, and then I sold the 1100 to a friend. And then I had that bike, and then things got a little crazy because I had a I had a car, a nice car. But then I bought a KLR, so a dual sport bike, and then I bought a Goldwing. Okay, <laughs> so was, you've had, you haven't had like exclusively no, like sport bikes. No, that bikes. was an impulse buy. It's like, yeah, that's a good idea. My parents had went on vacation. And I was still living at home at the time. And they came back in the garage, had another motorcycle <laughs> in it. And it was a single car garage, so it wasn't very big. But I somehow managed to stuff my car, a Goldwing, and the other bikes in there. It was some good packing. <laughs> um, so I had like, and then well, I still had my, I still had a dirt bike at the time too. And or a quad, depending on the month of rotation, because I had I had two quads, and then I sold one quad to a friend that bought a dirt bike, and then I had both, and then I then I went just to the dirt bike. So I had like four bikes at once. So I didn't ride the Goldwing a lot. It was cool. I, I think the farthest I rode was like Salem. <laughs> no, this is cool. It had a CB. <laughs> Listen to the truckers talking. It's like oh, no, that's what they talk about, <laughs> you know. Um, but it was a pretty, I, I, the problem was, is this, this lady at work where I worked had one, she goes, 
You should take it to lunch, but I'm warning you, you'll buy one. Ah, right, you know. I'm like, oh my God, this thing's amazing. So smooth and quiet and had a reverse gear and, oh man. So I ended up buying one. <laughs> <laughs> Sold that to my friend too, though, later. So, um, yeah, I had a supermoto bike um, for a while. Those were fun. It was just underpowered, but mostly sport bikes. Um, then after neck surgery, it was real tiring for my head to be up so much on a full sport bike. Like my last full on sport bike would be a, I think it was a 05 CBR 1000. And then I went to naked bikes, upright seating, handlebars instead of clip-ons. And I've had like three of those. One, two, 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 three, four, I guess now. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at, but I am, I had some other ones. Wouldn't mind getting a bagger or something like that. Maybe ride with my friends places because the bike I have now wouldn't, I mean, I could do it, but it's going to be hard on me. Yeah. It already hurts. What, what's cool about social media is like you got here because of, yeah. I mean, it's not like we wouldn't ask you anyway, like at some point, but Riley's like, who's this guy? And I was like, oh, he's like, he's super cool, man. Like, ask him if he wants to come on. And so that's, he did. Yeah. yeah I think I, I saw a picture of the Street Fighter that you posted. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a, somewhat of an impulse buy. Not really. Um, I was perfectly happy with the other bike I had. Um, the problem was is the dealer closed in the state, and it was the dealer. And I haven't even had my first service on the other one yet. So, because I still had the other bike, I didn't ride it. So I was trying to ride the new one more to get the miles built up to get the first service done. And uh, the problem was is that the dealer closed. And it was just like right around COVID. So uh, I was thinking, uh, oh, I wonder if they're open, you know. And I was like, oh, well, they're closed. Maybe they're closed because of COVID. And they're, And my buddy's like, no, they're done. He, he did some digging because he's more adept at that stuff than me. And he's like, yeah, it's done, done. They like sold all their fixtures. And so I don't know if the guy just decided to retire or, or if he had enough, I'm not sure. But so there's no dealer in the state for that bike. And I thought. And which bike was that? That was the Aprilia. Okay. The uh, Tuono. So I'm like, I'm kind of bummed. I'm a little dismayed at that. And because <laughs> like the nearest one was near Seattle. Um, and who wants to go to Seattle right now? Right. Nobody. (laughs) So, um, I just like, man, I just like, I don't know. I I mean, I like this bike, but where am I even going to get it serviced? And I want to buy stuff for it, which I, I know of this place. I can buy stuff out of Texas. This AF one, I've bought parts from them, go fast parts. And I thought Texas was a little far to trailer my bike to get it serviced. So it'd be a fun trip, but. Uh, so I decided, you know, you know, I've, I, uh, I bought two other Aprilias from this Portland dealer. So I, um, this other dealer, so I decided oh, I'll go there and look cause they sell, they sold Ducatis cause their local Ducati dealer we had stopped selling Ducatis this is where I got the other one I had the Diavel. And, um, uh, I thought, well, I'll just go up there and look. So I took like a day off, half day off work and drove up there took my dog with me. We went for a little road trip and 
because I hadn't seen one of these bikes in person yet. They'd just come out with this V4 model. It's like, oh, I'll look at it and see. So I looked at it. It's like, oh, all right. So I went back the following Wednesday, took that day off with a coworker. We went up there and I test rode it. Then I went back that next, that's two days, three days later on Saturday and decided I'm going to do it. So, and I just traded my other two and came out with that one. So it worked out. It was the easy, the easy way rather than trying to sell them out. Right. And then just after that, I had a friend that messaged me, Hey, do you know of anybody's, you know, I'm going, I just literally just, I, I, I still have my bike in my garage, but I made the deal to trade this in. Like, oh my gosh, that, oh, because they were looking at the same bike, but a couple years newer. So I was like, well, oh well, it's all right. So it worked out. The new bike's fun. It's cool. It's got a, so many, so much stuff. I mean, my other bike was an 18 and it had a lot of electronics on it. And this one has that and more. And compared to the 2012 I had, it has electronics, traction control, ABS, but on a completely different level. The stuff moves so fast now, it's crazy. Um, all the stuff you can do and change and, you know, it's crazy. It's just amazing, all the stuff that... I mean, soon I don't think they'll sell bikes without ABS. I mean, I know some manufacturers don't already. All their bikes they sell have ABS, which I think is good. Um and a lot of bikes they sell now have some sort of traction control options or at least settings on them. So um, kind of like it's hard to buy standard transmissions these days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like when I teach my kids to drive, I think I'm going to find a stick because I think they should know how to do that. So I remember being on a traffic crash a couple years ago. This lady was... A minor crash in her Camaro, newer Camaro. It was a six-speed. Her daughter's boyfriend came to help, you know, with the process. And it was, but she wasn't going to drive her car away. She was afraid it was messed up, so she was just going to park it. But she was too upset, and so the she looks to the boyfriend. She's, can you drive a stick? And he's like, no. And I'm like, oh, please. Really? I'm like, hand the man card over. <laughs> so um, I don't remember. I think one of the one of our officers might have moved it and drove it over there, but just like moved it literally like a block away to park it off the street, but he couldn't drive a stick, so he didn't get a boyfriend didn't get to do it. So I'm like, okay. Yeah, I, I think the last time I drove a stick was at work. I I guess I should, I mean, I know how to drive a stick because I grew up driving sticks, right. but I drove one like literally two weeks ago at work. It was a car we had out at the range that we were moving. And I'm like, oh, cool, this is a stick. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. So I'm like, I haven't driven a stick forever. And uh, yeah, because I had a few sporty cars, well, sports cars when I was younger, well, my first car and then my second car, so. Second, well, my third car was a sports car. My second car was a B210. I bought. No, actually, that would have been the third one. I bought it as a work car because I had a, I bought a 911 when I was 19. And I didn't want to drive it every day as a work car. So I bought this B210 as a 
work car. So, <laughs> which was a pretty fun car to drive. Rear wheel drive. Drive it in the snow. It snowed a few times that I had it. That was fun. Pick up my mom, take her to work. And, uh, cause we worked at the same place at that time. And, uh, I remember leaving and I'd like do a 180 at this end of the street and she'd be yelling at me. <laughs> <laughs> Friendly yelling at me. You stop it. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was good. I, I mean, I like cars like almost as much as bikes. I was trying to look at buying a 911, but they're like, they're so expensive. Yeah, I got this, you know, it was 2000. No, not 2000. It was 19, it was 90, 1989. That's what it was. So I keep going back decades. (laughs) Yeah, it was like 88, 89. It was a 74. So pre-smog, 2.7 liter, pretty fast. You know, probably only like 150-ish horsepower, but they're pretty light, and it moved. It was clean. It was it was good looking. Um, paid like twelve for it, twelve thousand bucks. Which back then would have been. Back then was it? I mean, it was a decent chunk. Um, it had the original window sticker in it from '74, and it cost twelve thousand new. Also, oh really? Wow. Yeah. So I paid pretty much what it was. Yeah. But I was, you know, 19. I was living at home. Didn't have really any bills except I think I had my, I was, I would have already had paid my quad off by then. I probably was, well, I had a, a bike and was probably buying another bike by then. Cause I only kept, yeah, I still had my first bike. So I was living pretty, living pretty large as a, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was working hard. I was work like, a bunch of hours a week. So, um, but I was trying to play hard too, I guess, but hindsight <laughs> is I would have put that money in real estate or something. So, or some fruit company like Apple or you know. <laughs> fruit company. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but instead I was drinking Dr. Pepper and riding bikes. So, but it's turned out okay. So, yeah. I uh I don't know that I could afford to buy a well I guess it just depends. I always say you buy the newest one you can afford is the way it you should do. But if I hit the big numbers, you know, if I played the lottery and won it, I'd have to I mean there'd be a lot of cars I'd want, but I don't know if it was only one. I'm just, I'm really still kind of a a Porsche file at heart. I think but, there's a, isn't there a supervisor that, or maybe a detective or something drives one of those? Um, where you work? Yes, there's a detective that drives one. It's a, uh, it's one of the crossovers, so one of the SUV models. Oh, okay. but it's still nice. I mean, I, yeah, yes. There's also someone that works, uh, that has a. Uh, a Cayman GT4, not in our department, but in the city. Yeah, there's a few running around. Um, that guy we were talking about earlier, he just had one. Uh, he was just selling it though. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
I never gonna see that. I gotta drive his his other fast, expensive car he had when he still worked here. <laughs> I th- he may still have that. I don't know. The BMW. I don't know if he still has it or not. I have no idea. Yeah. 500 horsepower. It moved. It's a big car, but it still it moved. So when you hit the loud pedal, it pushed you back in the seat. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, that, there's, there's car, it's just so crazy now. You know, you can go down and you can buy a car with 700 horsepower or 800 horsepower. I mean, and not be in like super exotic land. You know, with the Hellcat Dodge stuff. and I drove one of those once. Yeah, I haven't yeah. got a... Yeah, it was... Uh, we have a retired guy that bought one. I uh, I got to drive his other car, which wasn't a Hellcat, but it was an SRT. So it had a measly 400 and some horsepower, but I haven't <laughs> I haven't seen him. Those things are awesome in a straight line, but that's about it. Yeah. It's a cool sound hearing that supercharger. Yeah. So, yeah. Um. I kind of eyeballed the Kawasaki H2 bikes. They're supercharged. And now they make a naked, so an upright seating, the H2 SE. So it still doesn't quite, it, they must have detuned it because it doesn't make the horsepower that their full sport ones do. Um, but still, I mean, it makes a bunch, upper hundreds. But, uh, just it's cool supercharger to be cool to listen to <laughs> those things are crazy different, different music yeah i have an exhaust on mine and it sounds pretty good um yeah it was crazy the exhaust the stuff is so expensive i mean it's like jewelry though it, the way it looks though is amazing it's it's just great to look at and it sounds great and cuts a lot of weight but man they don't give it away it's crit and it's nuts. So, but can got, you take can you take it to like a conventional uh, mechanic if you need anything specific done to it, or do you have to go to a like a particular one, a specific? Uh, one? I mean, if you were just looking to change the oil, I could do that. Yeah, but it, no, okay. I mean, other than that, yeah, there are people that do that stuff privately that um, that are trained in it and. You know, they think the things you gain by when you go to a dealer, at least like on our work bikes, is yeah, Joe Bob can adjust the valves and do that, but does he have the computer that plugs in and talks to the bike? Or does he get the updates that, hey, there's this problem we're seeing with these bikes? Your such and such jerk valve is not working right, and we're starting to see this as a problem, or there's a there's a service bulletin on this part of the bike there's a clutch issue or whatever it might be i don't who knows um so yeah you can get some stuff done but there's like i don't remember how many they said there's like 16 computers on the bike or eight or something stupid the dash is in like in the the ducati yeah the dash is (laughs) got all kinds of things on it that's mesmerizing that i mean i read the manual i actually did read the manual but i'd have to I'd have to dig into it again to do certain things. I can change the time. I can I can go through and change the different ride modes. You can go in and change the different suspension settings because it has electronic suspension, semi-active. Uh, 
so you can change it in different modes. It is set factory a default setting, but then you can go in and you can change those settings to your default, what you want. And then if you decide, oh, no, 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 I don't like that. You can just go back to the default setting um, because you can certainly get lost in all that stuff of, oh, there's too much rebound and there's too much mm. I don't know, preload and all oh, this, this, and oh, the steering dampener is too tight. Now it's too, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that's just mind blowing of not to mention just the, you know, three different ride modes of, um, that it cuts one cuts the horsepower way back for like, if it's raining. So mm. think, of, think of it as like a rain mode. Um, then there's I've, one. I've heard that's kind of common on a bunch of the like leader bikes and yeah, they'll do that. Like our, our work bikes have that. Okay. It has a, a rain mode and a um, ride mode. I don't. I don't think I use rain mode on mine. That's just me. But it does. It's softer hitting, um, and in a lot of cases, just depending on the manufacturer, what it does. A lot of times, it's softer hitting acceleration. You're not getting full horsepower. Um, that kind of stuff. So maybe, like on my other Ducati, it went from like 160 to like 130 on horsepower. Still a ton, but. If you were in rain mode, it would cut things off. It would and definitely soften the how it accelerated, how hard it would hit. <clears throat> then on this bike, it does that. There's race, sport, um, and street, I think. And okay. it, it cuts horsepower on one and then softens the blow. And then the suspension will tighten up. You can feel it tighten up when you flip it to race mode. The dash changes. The dials rotate to like the tack rotates down to where like one through 5,000 RPM are really small because <laughs> you're really using it higher revs. Uh, it's just the way it's set up. It's pretty cool. Um, and then you can go in there and mess with all the suspension stuff. Okay. Um, so you can set it to like whatever you can you set want it to track suspension. Yeah. Or, or suspension if you're or heavier or lighter, or if you're going to have, um, if you're gonna have a passenger or something, you know, you can set it to where it's gonna be more suited for that extra weight or something. Yeah. It's got up and down shift without it's like clutchless upshift or quick shift. Hmm. So all you do is just you can hold the gas and just bump bump the shifter. Up and down? Up and down. Oh. Uh, down it's gotta you close the throttle. Okay. And uh but you can have it you can hold it open and upshift. Yeah. So oh. a lot of the, the quick shift <laughs> is pretty cool because it just it what it does is interrupts different manufacturers do it different ways, but it'll interrupt the spark and the, the delivery of the gas slightly. Uh, my other my Prilia had that too, and it just makes this little burp noise when you it's just it's it's damn cool. <laughs> it sounds awesome. <laughs> you just hold the gas bop 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 and it makes this little burp noise as it upshifts just in this split second. And then downshifting, you close the throttle, it auto blips to match the revs. Mm. So it like revs, and it'll just auto blips down. Um, it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's way above my brain and pay grade. <laughs> it, it's pretty cool. So, yeah. I'm just starting to figure out how to do the manual, like yeah. blip shifting, downshifting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, matching the revs to the motor so you don't downshift too far, and then the rear wheel will lock up. So on these on these newer bikes, they'll have slipper clutches. So you can, and our work bikes had those too, you can downshift as fast as you want, but you're not going to lock up the rear wheel 
by being in too low of a gear because there's a clutch the clutch will engage in there and make the bike slip the clutch basically in layman's terms it'll just slip the clutch instead of you locking up the rear end you know it's like you know like on a on a dirt bike you downshift too far and you let the clutch out and you're skidding well i won't do that because that's bad news on a on a street bike so slipper clutches they've had them for years but how does that work then well, like, I can't tell you how, how it works. How do I avoid doing that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like what I used to say. Uh, a judge said this in court once for for laser or LIDAR. He's like, he goes, I don't know how it works, but it's kind of like your refrigerator. It either works or it doesn't. So <laughs> so I would testify to that sometimes because well, somebody was would be like an internet defense. They would get on the internet. Well, when was this calibrated? And it's like, well, I didn't. I don't. It was calibrated when it was new in two thousand two. Are you telling me? And I was like, I do the checks that's required. I check the sight alignment. I check the distance, and it checks out. And when I use it, it either works or it doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, you get no reading. You get an error message, or it doesn't work. So it's simple to use. Anyway. Um, so I don't know how a slipper clutch works in there with all the ramps and the stuff, but the idea of it is if you downshift too fast and let the clutch out, that it's not going to lock up the rear wheel. So it engages the clutch and slips the clutch. So the way to do that would be, let's say you're going, uh, like on your bike, you're going 30 and you're in third gear and you decide oh, I'm going to slow down, but I'm just going to use the gears to slow down. And you decide to pull in the clutch, downshift two times, and just hammer and let the clutch out. Well, that's going too fast in first gear, probably. I mean, it'll go 30 in first gear. Yeah. But it's going to grab and lock the rear end up. Okay. So as you're slowing down, you know, you're braking, you're slowing down, second gear, and then first gear, and then I can let the clutch, you know, out. Um I mean, the same thing would happen in a car, essentially. If you downshifted too far in a car, we're all going too fast for that gear, the rear the rear wheels would catch and you would skid. Well, ABS would catch it probably, but in an old car. And that wouldn't happen unless you started to let the clutch out? Correct. Like if you're... Yeah, because if you're downshifting like in a full, in a full um, emergency braking, mm-hmm. clutches to the bars... Mm-hmm maximum firm to firmer they say on the front brake and then light to lighter in the rear because the rear it's going to lift up and the more you push the rear brake the bike's lifting up it's going to lock the rear eventually because either it's because it's lightening it it's mm. lightening the load because of the weight transfer so if you just keep the clutch pulled in you can downshift and you should be downshifting down 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 to first because now if something changes and i need to get out of there i can let the clutch out and move on because I've slowed down enough. Hmm. But what you, what you don't do is, you know, it's just like, I guess if you've ever downshifted in a car and downshifted to the wrong gear by mistake, well, you're in fifth or you're in sixth, you meant to go to fifth and you shifted downshifted to third for some reason. And the car lunges forward and tries to throw your teeth through the windshield and stuff. That's, Kind of the idea. You're going too fast for that gear. That's that's the bottom line. Okay. 
that's the easiest way to do it. I think I got it. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, survival instinct would hopefully kick in at some point, but if you don't know, you don't know. I mean, you know, if you don't know that I can get hurt by stepping off this 10 foot roof and I just do it. Well, at some point you've been told, Hey, you can't do that. Well, it's kind of the same thing. You know, just a downshift and just drop the clutch. It's certainly something I like to kind of do things to play with them and see like, it's not like I don't believe you, but I'm going to see what it does. You know, like driving in a car, I want to feel what the rear end does when it slides out. It doesn't happen anymore because of cars, <laughs> where they are with ESC and all this stuff. And they don't allow you to do that. The car is trying to fix those problems for you. So you don't have to write a memo or crash. Um, but there are a lot of people who have never experienced that. So we have things like the skid car that we have that you can, you can replicate things, low traction in the front or in the rear. Um, you know, our cars now are all wheel drive. They have uh, electronic skid control. People are going to experience the things that your dad and I experienced with two wheel drive, what they call analog cars of come around this corner sideways, like Starsky and Hutch, you know, <laughs> so, which is awesome, but it's just not going to happen on the cars these days because the cars are trying to save you from that. Um, unless it's a car that you can turn all of that off, which is few and far between. So you just can't turn all that stuff off anymore. <laughs> okay. So if Ask, I was asking for a friend, <laughs> <laughs> so as like an extreme example, yeah. Say I'm going 60 on my bike. Okay. I click down to first, like roll in at like 60 and then let the clutch out. That'll lock up the wheels. Yes. The rear wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That makes, yeah. that makes sense. Okay. That makes, yeah, that makes sense. At 30, eh, it may or may not. It'll just start screaming. Maybe you're right. <laughs> it might just go rev into the, to the red line. But yeah, at 60, yeah, if you if you somehow were able to downshift into first <laughs> and let the clutch out, it would lock up. Okay. And then you'd want to pull the clutch in really fast so it quits locking up. Yeah. Yeah. In, uh, in motor school, one of the motor schools I went to was uh, the first one I went to. We're on KZs and we did this thing where you were being taught rear wheel skids because that can happen. Um, they don't really teach your front wheel ones because that's dangerous and you'll fall on your head, but sometimes you had them and you just release it as quick as you can. You release the front wheel if it skids, but the back, you would stay on it because, uh, so what'll happen is at some point the rear end's going to try to pass the front end. And if it gets out there too far and then, and like as a kid, you've probably done this on your bicycle skidded, Oh, that's pretty fun. But if it skidded too far out sideways and you're like, oh, I'm going to fall and you let off the brake, if it was a coaster brake back in the day, maybe or not. And then it catches uh, what's called a high side. So you lose traction, you lose traction, and then it catches traction. Well, it tries to straighten up. Well, it flicks you. Mm. And on a motorcycle, bad news. So if you get into a rear wheel skid, they say you should, A, try to keep it straight which means don't be moving around because you can put pressure on the pegs or move your butt and kind of control it. But there can be a point to where it's going to go to that point of no return. And then you should, at that point, if you let off, 
then it's going to eject you off the high side. Um, happens all the time in racing, but on racing, it's under acceleration. And it's, there are tons of videos to watch to just type in high side. And I, I've seen a yeah, couple. <laughs> so, you know, they'll accelerate out of a corner and it slips, 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 and it grabs and flink. It's so like God with a paper football. Losing traction and then gaining traction. Yes, again exactly. Same thing happens on a rear wheel skid that. So we were being taught this, like, stay on the brake. So we had to go, like, 30 and in the straight line, and we hit this, like, hard-packed gravel dirt stuff that we were going on, and um, you just rode it. And and sometimes you just you st- you stayed straight, and it was fine, no big deal. But sometimes they start going sideways, and a couple guys, just you just ride it right into the ground. It's just kind of like a corkscrew. It just, it just spun, and no big deal. The bike's had crash guards on him and stuff and there's one guy that it started to go but he let off the brake because he panicked and that thing tumbled high-sided he didn't get hurt but uh the bike was all kind of mangled up a little bit but uh it was a good i guess in a hard lesson of physics for some um (laughs) because we had to do this on the pavement too where you were doing a 90 degree turn we first did it in the grass on this in this field where you would lay the bike down and so we graduated from it was kind of like going base to base like a like a box and then we did it on the pavement where you had to do at least one on the pavement into the ground where you just locked up the rear end looked one way and steered all the way and and basically laid it down and some people just couldn't let go their brain wouldn't let them do it and one guy i remember kept skid let off high side skid let off high side skid let off high side on the pavement yes and we're going like you had to be going about nine at least like nine miles an hour they remember telling us that so you're going like 10 or 12 miles you're not going fast you didn't have to but you just look hit the brake and crank the handlebars and you would just no big deal he couldn't do it. His brain wouldn't let him do it. And uh, he ended up basically uh, getting bounced from the class because he hurt himself. But um, but that happens. I mean, it's not it's not for everybody. And uh, a good a good motor school will um, there are places that do pay to play uh, pay to pass like, oh, we got your got your check and here's your certificate. But um a couple I've been to a CHP school and then another school they um, they're like yeah we're gonna let you know we we can't do that we can't have that on us I mean I certainly haven't and I've had to do that in, in my place too that it's uh or for our schools that we do that some people just uh, either don't have the aptitude or or just not getting it or for whatever reason but you can't you can't just let them you know that'll be okay because if something happened to them, that's that's going to weigh on me. At least I know it would. And, and the way these instructors were also. It's like, And it's a tough thing to tell somebody that, you know, this is their dream, but... You don't have what it takes. This isn't your reality, unfortunately. Because um, it, is, it is different. And uh, you got to kind of like, you have that little, that little thing on your shoulder telling you, oh, you're going to get hurt. Don't do that. You got to tell that guy to shut up, you know, (laughs) and you just got to, you know, if you listen to what they're telling you and you do it, um, 
but that's not always easy. Some people have a mental block of that, won't let them do that, or or don't have the physical skill to do it, maybe. Um, and sometimes maybe both, but uh, I've seen I've seen both with with folks in other schools and in our schools. But it's uh, it does suck to tell somebody, but it's but you care about them, and you're just like you just can't you can't do it. You you feel horrible, you know, if something happened to them. You know, what are you going to tell their family? Well, he was a nice guy. I liked him, and I. Sorry, I knew he couldn't do it. So another tell on me story. Uh, I'm fairly new on SWAT. I'm a utility guy, so you're running around doing stuff. You know, you're always you're there early, you're there late, um, first to go, first to show, last to go, kind of stuff. And you know, you're trying to make your way and show people that you're putting the work in. And uh, so a couple of these guys that had been on SWAT for a while ahead of me, and they're big guys too. One guy's built like a bull. Another guy was built like a well, like a male volleyball player, only bigger. And, but it, so I come cruising in through the front door, and on the table is we'd had some inert pepper spray running around because of some training we were doing. Well, I grab this stuff off the table and give these guys a blast to the chest. Psh, psh, good little dose each. And they start hacking and coughing and I'd look in my hand and I'm not holding inert pepper spray. I'm holding <laughs> actual pepper spray. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought they were going to kill me. Thankfully they're nice guys and they, I don't know, they didn't do anything. It was amazing. I, I felt so bad. I'm thinking, so that was like the end of my horseplay of stuff, you know, <laughs> I think, oh, great, great, good, imperc- good impression here. Uh, when was the first time besides training that you got pepper sprayed at work? Uh, I don't know that I've ever, I don't know that I've ever been in a, I don't think I ever got sprayed by anybody somehow. I've used my spray on like a deer. The first time I ever used my pepper spray and the first time I ever dispatch a deer because we live in a southern part of our city. It's very wooded and deer filled, deer deer infested. So I get sent to a dead dead body call, just a person had died. And this other officer got sent to dispatch a deer. And he's like, hey, uh, gets me on another channel and says, hey, do you want to switch? I really don't. I really don't want to do that i don't do that and for me i'm thinking yeah because <laughs> if somehow i lucked out and didn't have any db calls at all until i was cut a solo so i don't know how that happened <laughs> the first one to have was terrible there was like a week old in august in a house but um so we we switch calls and i go to go take care of this deer so yeah okay that's no problem so i go to this address and I'm in the backyard where this deer is at and there's a fawn. It's a baby deer. It's got broken legs. And I'm like, oh man, this sucks. Well, mom is there. Mama deer. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this isn't, she's not happy. <laughs> she's like jumping around and she's not like charging at me or something, but she doesn't have horns because she's a female. So I'm not super scared, but I'm like, I don't want this to go real bad. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be in this backyard. And these are like open 
backyard apartment kind of things. So I go back, I go knock on the back door of this window, this sliding door. I'm going to go, Hey, I'm going to tell these people, Hey, I'm going to be discharging, you know, a gun back here. Just let you know Well, I knock on the door and it's like waiting for a bit. And there's a bunch of people in the house. I thought, well, that's weird. I knock again. Like some guy comes to the door. I go, Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm going to be dispatching a deer back here. He's like, that's just great. My wife's in here laying dead on the floor. And I'm like, uh, and I'm looking, I'm like, oh, those are all medics. And that was the dead body call that I'd switched with. <laughs> and I'm somehow in the backyard of this place going to dispatch this deer. And I'm like, oh, uh, I'm sorry. Thought I'd let you know. And so I go leave that tragedy. And I'm over here now with pepper spray in one hand, spraying mama deer while I'm going to put down baby deer. So, uh. Yeah, that was that was my first dispatching a deer problem, <laughs> and almost my first dead body call. So uh, I don't know how it turned out for the officer with all that, but um, it was pretty emotional for that guy, and I I feel bad about that. But it's like I had no idea because <laughs> I come in from a different part of the uh, different like a different street completely. But it uh, wasn't good. But I don't think I ever got like, you know, usually when there's a fight and there's pepper spray, everybody's getting it, you know, oh, yeah. splash back. And uh, no, I don't I, I don't think I got it. You know, I got sprayed a bunch in trainings and stuff because I was instructor for a while. So I got it in the Reserve Academy a couple times and, um. You know, I didn't mind it. It wasn't that big a deal to me. I knew it'd burn and it'd stop burning. And so, you know, some people don't deal with it well. They'd rather be tased or shot. I, I guess ta I haven't been tased before, but I guess it's it's super hurts. But then it's when it's over, it's over. It's done. But yeah, as you know, pepper spray. That's the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, and especially giving when you and giving and giving. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially when you go take a shower and you know they tell you, hey. You lean away from the water because it's going to travel down Hell's Canyon. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it burns again. So that's, that's good stuff. Yeah, they always, they always uh, try to give the most disgusting dead body calls to the new guy. Right. To break you in, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. I don't. Maybe I had coaches that, that didn't have that philosophy that – uh that weren't into that, you know, because they probably had enough. And, uh, I think I, I mean, I've certainly had, had, you know, some, but I, I remember there's on day shift when I was a motor, there's one guy, he always, cause day shift, you got a lot anyway. Right. You know, st people pass away overnight, but, uh, I mean, I, I might've got out of there with out of patrol with less than 15, I bet. Oh, really? I'm guessing. Well, maybe not with, because I had recruits because I was a, a training officer. And I would, you know, you would take those. So I, I maybe, yeah. I bet you 20, though. I bet you it's not more than 20. I got somehow, I got lucky. You got that. gifted. I, I was gifted. Yeah. That was my, that was my LE gift besides good helmet hair. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a, that's not a bad one, though. All right. You got any dog stories or we're working, uh, we're working up an episode. For yeah, Shark Week. I've, I, uh, yeah, I've been bit by a dog, uh, a canine, police canine. 
Um, we were, uh, county was in pursuit of a, uh, out in the county of a stolen car or something. And we were, so the canine was going and it was just, just on the edge of our city. So, um, I was at that end of town. I responded as well. I was like number three vehicle, I think. And, uh, I, the car stops on some gravel road, of course, and you don't know where you're at. Driver takes off one way, let's say straight ahead. In this case, it was like north. Passenger takes off to the right, and the dog uh, handler says, I've got the driver. Great. Got it. No problem. So I take off running after the other guy, and they go completely different ways, uh, like 90 degrees from each other. And I'm chasing my guy. He goes over this small little like cattle fence or something. And we're running down this gravel road. And I'm like, hey, I'm just going to. What I don't hear behind me is I I don't hear. And he and the road turns. So now we're going parallel or the same direction to which the driver had ran. But we're on like a ways away. But we're both running the same direction, it sounds like. Well, I'm running after this guy. Well, he stops. Finally, he gives up. He gets tired. And uh, I'm coming up there, and I'm putting my hands on him. All of a sudden, I feel this hot, burning sensation on my leg. And this dog has me. I'm thinking, oh, the dog has me. (laughs) I said, hey, the dog's biting me. Another officer was there, not not the handler. He's yelling. They're yelling at him. Fooey, fooey. Tell him, you know, he's getting off. So I, uh, and now the handler's running up there. I said I had the driver. And I'm like, this is not the driver. He goes, yes, it is. <laughs> well, I would got up, you know, dog let go of me and just piled onto this guy, grabbed him by the, by, by the neck and the back and bit the <laughs> hell out of this guy. <laughs> and so we get him on cuff. And now that we're having this exchange with the canine handler, and I go, this is not the driver. Yes, it is. And I'm like, are you the driver? He's like, no, I'm not. I'm not the driver. I see, see, I told you. <laughs> so then, and I'm sure it's the same now, as if you got bit by a canine, they usually gifted you some sort of, you know, beverage of your choice, usually in a six-pack or larger denomination. So uh, anyway, it, it wasn't bad. It, I mean, it hurt, but it didn't hurt that bad. It wasn't that bad. You well, bit, in the, bit in the calf? Uh, bitten like in the shin. Oh. So it was it was easy. I mean, I've seen people get worse bites in training. So yeah. <laughs> like where they're squirting the saline through it and it comes out the other side. That mine wasn't that bad at all. It just <laughs> I remember itching a lot when it healed. So oh. that's but that was it was all right. All right, worst recruit ever. Oh boy. <laughs> um. I mean, I have one in mind. I have a couple. I sometimes got recruits that were difficult towards the end of their, like, are they going to make this? And I didn't know. If, it turns out later is because I was a, a decent coach, but I thought at the time, I was like, why are you, why are you doing this to yeah, me? Why are you giving me these What did I people? do? <laughs> One of them was a guy, the guy that I uh, pepper sprayed in the SWAT office. He suggested, oh, I'll just give them to him. Well, I don't know if it was because of that, but um, so that particular one, 
we they were a bad driver among other making decisions and stuff but they they truly just were not good drivers and uh would make decisions like we make a u-turn we're going to a call and it's not a super hot call but it's like we need to make a u-turn and go to this call and it's clear where we start this U-turn that we are not going to make this U-turn in the width of the street. That, And they just like blast over the curb, not like crawl over the curb slowly, but like wham, wham. Like, did you just dent the wheel? Did we have a flat? I'm like, well, did you think you were going to make that? Well, no. Why did you do that? I go, what if we had a flat? Now we're fixing a flat and... They need our help. And, and just decisions like that. Um, then uh, there's a call and uh, we decide that we have this talk. And we have this talk about, uh, it's like the come to Jesus talk of like, I know that this is really, really, really what you want to do in life. But I'm not so sure that this is, what you should be doing or can be doing. So we have this talk and, you know, this is my passion and I'm, I, you know, okay, okay. Let's just, let's just start with the clean slate. Here's what we're going to do. And, um, you know, we were like, well, let, they're going to go get a Dewey tonight. So I said, okay, let's go find us a Dewey. Not hard to do. We worked weekends. Um, and, uh, so we start going there and then all of a sudden, hey, there's a pursuit. It's like, oh, there's a pursuit coming west on this big main thoroughfare through our city. I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, <laughs> we're pretty close. We're about four blocks north of that, several blocks ahead of it at this point. So I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is okay. Well, we start driving some other different way. And I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> think about where they're coming from. Think about where we are. Okay. Now, let's go this way. Because we don't want to go that way. Because, you know, a train leaves Boston and then a train leaves New York. You're not going to catch it. It's just not going to happen. So, we drive one way. We turn on. We get to the main street. They turn the other way. The wrong way. And I'm like... I go, think about where they're coming from. Okay, okay. So we turn into this driveway, the next driveway, and we go, and I'm thinking, uh, there's only one, like one way in, one way out driveway. The one we came in, we got to go back out. Well, they go straight, and they're, I'm thinking, where are they going? And I'm thinking, oh, we're going off the, over the sidewalk and off the curb. <laughs> we're going Enos style, Dukes of Hazard. So we just blast off the curb. And like, okay, that's not terrible. There's no parking strip, no nothing hard to hit. It's a little hard on the car. And now we're driving in the uh, fast lane, the left lane, parallel with the pursuit, but it's past us already. It's already gone by. That's why I said, hey, we're going the wrong way. It's already past us. You need to turn around. So we're going, and we're going about 40, maybe. The speed limit is 35. And I'm looking in the mirror and I can see dust coming and stuff of cars behind us, patrol cars. 
light siren that are coming up like it 70, 80, who knows? <laughs> and they come by the car so fast, our car like kind of moves, they pass us, which, you know, the rules you shouldn't be passing a mark, but it's clear like, what are these guys doing? And they blow by us so fast, I thought the decals are going to come off our car. And I'm like, okay, just pull over. Just, we're out. We are out of this. We're done. We're done. Well, this car ends up tearing off towards uh, the far west end of town. It causes almost a crash with a car, which causes one of our patrol cars to go into the water. Um and like sink like you know 10 feet of water or something oh really um, the officer was fine he puts the car in park I guess <laughs> before he gets out and then steps out of the car and you know goes to the bottom and then gets out but uh, and they get this car down in, in the county somewhere and it crashed but uh, um, with other agencies but I'm like okay we're out and it was like I thought we were gonna I, I thought we were gonna get hit by other patrol cars because we were going so slow <laughs> I was like, there's a pursuit and you're not in it. So let's just, we're done. We're out. So we like went back to headquarters or something or that was a long uh, observation report that day. (laughs) Was that person done after that? No, no, they, uh, no, they weren't. (laughs) They went from me to another coach. Um, I I mean, there were some other driving things that we did where we're going to a car that was stuck on the tracks and we're pretty far, excuse me, pretty far, pretty far away. We're running code and we're crossing a major highway, two major highways. And we're not slowing down at all to clear the intersections and they're clearing the intersection was them whipping their head left to right real fast. I just thought, okay, just stay relaxed, stay relaxed. You don't want to tense up in a crash. As I thought for sure we were going to get blasted in, in an intersection. Somehow we didn't. We get through those two intersections. Soon it goes code four, the car's off the tracks. So, and they're still driving with their hair on fire. And I'm like, what did they say on the radio? And they repeated some gibberish that like, no, they said code four, <laughs> no more units, something to that effect. I'm like, shut it down. You, we're not in a hurry anymore. So you can't be in a hurry now. Stop. So that person went on to to another coach, and then eventually they, they did not make it as an officer. But uh, it was certainly some gray hairs and <laughs> some experience that, man, it was, oh boy. It was crazy. Yeah. And it, I, I look the person smart, intelligent, but I think just was overloaded. That's all. It, you can be smart and intelligent, but not have the ability to handle stress or multitask. Yeah, right. Or or make critical decisions. Yeah, yeah. If you've been in this job long enough, you've seen people either as a coach or as a temporary coworker that like. Look, you, you might be able to speak three languages or you might be able to do complicated math or you might be able to do this or that or you might have done this in your other job. But you're not getting this. And uh, and that's okay. 
because you don't want people protecting people that can't protect themselves, <laughs> but that, are, that don't get it. And, and that's all right. I mean, I couldn't be a lot of things, a rocket scientist <laughs> or a rocket surgeon. Although you do know a lot about physics. Although I do know how some physics work. <laughs> yeah. I do know that father time and gravity are still undefeated. So and I have some scars and bruises to prove that. So, um, yeah. Um, those are probably the, the worst recruit stuff. There were some, a few that were like scary. I remember I had a, guy, a person that a guy that kept leaving the car unlocked. It's like, you cannot leave our car unlocked. I, there is a submachine gun in the back trunk that signed out to me that I don't want to be responsible for when it gets stolen because you left the car unlocked. Now look back then it wasn't that hard to, if you got into the car, you could get into the trunk, but there's at least that layer of security there that I'm going, well, the car was unlocked. Um, when I'm talking to the man he's standing tall in front of the boss, um, he would just get in a hurry and leave. And I'm like, dude, the car's not locked. You got to lock the car. It's just, you push a button. It's not that hard, but people get locked in and a little spun out on stuff. And it's, you know, I don't know. I'm like I say, there's plenty of jobs that I probably couldn't do. And uh, I guess I found one that I could. So, <laughs> and sometimes it's our job to tell some people that they can't do those jobs. And that's sometimes hard. Um, but, but then sometimes these people get hired other places. So, yeah, true. Um, yeah, yeah. We've had some people that you thought, wow. And then they've got hired other places and they're like superstars there. I'm like, okay, maybe it was just a change of scenery they needed or something else. I don't know. Uh, it's different, you know. It's, I don't know. Yeah, it's not for everybody, but it is an awesome job. Okay, last last one. Did you work any peaceful protests this summer? Um, yeah, I did. Uh, only, I worked only about three days. Um, the position I work now is not one where I'm daily. There are a lot of people that work patrol that worked a lot that worked days on straight of doing that stuff. But day to day, my job doesn't do that. I got called in for a few special events, things. Um, so I saw some, some, uh, peaceful, <laughs> not so peaceful protesting of a lot of property damage and stuff like that. Um, it definitely wasn't, uh, it wasn't all peaceful, what I witnessed. And, um, I mean, there were some people that were sure, but then there are others that were there really just to look like to, to break things and to kind of get into that mob mentality. And I think a lot of people, and I've been in stuff over the years of, Either since we have, you know, we're a college town, I've been in some college riots. Um, I've been in some anarchist stuff in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. a lot of that. Um, you know, you see people do things in a group mentality that you wouldn't see maybe do necessarily in a, on, the, on their own. Either it becomes uh, safety in numbers or 
everybody else is doing it or whatever their thoughts are. But I think some people are just there to just break stuff and have disorder. And, uh, you know, they might have their thoughts and beliefs about what's going on and they, they might be right or they may not be, but certainly the way not to, it's hard to, uh, for regular people to understand someone's issues when you're destroying the community, people that don't even, you know, people driving by people's businesses. It's hard for people to swallow that regular, what I would say, quote unquote, regular people, people that are home watching the news and watching this happen or the people that are having their businesses destroyed. You know, they're wanting you to be there. Where were you two hours ago when this was happening or that kind of stuff? Yeah. It's hard. Um, and then they don't want you there now. So, cause you're too late <laughs> and there's still people there yelling at you, you know, throwing stuff at you, you know, throwing rocks and bottles and stuff. And, you know, your defense is to throw tear gas back, um, less lethal munitions, you know, things like that. So, yeah, I saw a little bit of it. Not as much as I did years ago, but there are a lot of people that worked a lot harder and longer than I did for this, for these. And there's still people that are, and obviously in other cities, you know, around us, the right. Northwest. It's crazy. Um, I don't certainly don't have the answer for it. <laughs> if I did, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> Indeed, man. Thanks for coming yeah. on. It's been awesome. Yes. Thanks. Appreciate we, uh, it. We really appreciate it. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, yeah this is really wait. cool. All right. Yeah. Good. It's good work. Thanks. Okay. Thanks for listening, Clear to the End of the Podcast. We are trying to grow our following, and we'd like you to, if you could, subscribe to the Snitch Podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating, whether you loved it, whether you hated it. Uh, maybe even leave us a comment. A few people have done that. The more ratings we get, the more subscriptions we get, the higher we, the higher our ratings basically go, and the easier it is to find us. We're also on Spotify and our hosting platform, Podbean. If you want regular updates on what's going on with the podcast, you can go to the Snitch Podcast on Instagram. And lastly, if you want to be part of this multimedia project, email us at thesnitchpodcast at gmail.com. It's the traveling season for me, and I'm going to be going to multiple cities uh, throughout the United States, and I'm hoping that we're going to be able to record in the majority of those cities. With who yet? I have no idea. But that's the plan. And that's been the plan from the beginning. Again, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Be safe.